And welcome to Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast with a quicker drop-off in quality than Jason's winner edit. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, I'm feuding with Laura, too. I'm Mike Bloom, and... Um, I'm Paul Osselson, and uh, I'm so dumb, I don't even know how I walked um, to get over here to do this podcast, so... All right, and here we are. It has been quite a while since we've uh, done a podcast. This is the first time, I believe, in three months. So you may have missed us. You may not have missed us, but I have certainly heard about it from uh, our read- our listeners out there that apparently there is a lot of demand for Samoa talk. And here we are again, guys. We're back here uh, knee-deep in Russell land to delve into the season, which is uh, very still continues to be very, very interesting. I-, I don't care about the rest of the people, Mario, but I missed you. Oh, yeah, we're, I'm in the mood for Samoa Samoa talk, and I think this is especially pertinent because this is the first time in 2018 that Paul has his voice back. Samoa right. Samoa talk? Yep, I've been sitting on that pun for three months, so that's what I've been doing. Samoa Samoa talk, and and, and you're going to gloss over the fact that you know we didn't podcast during Girl Scout cookie season where you could be eating Samoas? Yeah, well, I was just afraid that I was going to get on the podcast and have to talk as much as Brett does and then, you know, just actually not really be in the podcast. So I'm glad my voice is uh, fully back so we can dissect uh, part two of this season. You know what sucks is my daughter is a Girl Scout and she stole she stole dozens and dozens of boxes of Samoas. So it would have been fitting. And what sucks even worse is that Russell got credit for every one of those sales in the edit. That's what sucks. Well, I was going to say, like, if only your daughter had robbed Russell so we could say that Russell wasn't literally robbed. <laughs> all right so here we go again welcome back we're kind of getting back into the swing of things it's been a while since we've uh met up we've all been super busy lately uh just i think it really just takes that long to digest samoa it's such an interesting season with so many nuances and so many so many different storylines that don't revolve around russell all going on at once it's just hard to wrap them around in your mind are you guys ready to dive back into this i know it, it takes a certain mindset to get into uh russell land here are you guys ready for this I mean, well, <laughs> that was a good answer. No, uh, no, we're not. Yeah, I mean, we're the good thing is uh, the next couple of episodes, specifically this episode coming up, episode four. I was a little sad that we ended on episode three because episode four is the first episode in rewatching this season that really clicked for me. And I don't think it's coincidental that it also is the first glue focused episode uh, where we finally get to see some of these personalities that have purple bops and have just sort of been standing there for the past three hours of television. But there's some interesting non-Russell things going on, and I think this p- 
part of the podcast, but at least we'll we'll try to prove that. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And this is my favorite stretch of the season. That I think the the first part, again, all four of us like this season. We've talked off the air about this. This is a season we all pretty much think similarly, and we all are fairly fond of it. It's kind of interesting because we don't tend to agree on a lot of Survivor stuff once we get to this era of the show. But this is an era where, you know, the first three episodes are fun. There's some fun stuff. And now we get to really the fun stretch of episodes. And then you got part three, which will be the end game, which will be a whole different beast in itself. But yeah, I, I am a big fan of this stretch of episodes. I wrote about it a lot on the funny 115. A lot of my entries came from these episodes right here. And yeah, this is to me the heart of the season, which again, I have not changed my mind. I still think this is one of my top 15 seasons, even on this rewatch. Now it's just reaffirms that I really enjoy this season. Again, some people say, well, you can only enjoy it if you kind of look past the Russell edit. I don't mind the Russell edit. I think the Russell edit is actually not that bad. I think it sets up perfectly why he loses in the end. But we are going to point out as we go through these episodes, what a generous, generous, generous edit he gets from the editors to the extent that no player in Survivor history has ever had such a blatant, generous edit in the uh, wrap ups and the recaps. We'll start talking about that real soon. But yeah, it's I just love this stretch. I, I was trying to figure out why I like Samoa and in, in sort of stuff with this era. And, you know, it, it's always sort of. Not a hindsight is twenty twenty sort of thing, but but more of a you don't know what you have until it's gone sort of thing. And so when this era started to come, this 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 later this Russell Hans sort of era, and even from Micronesia until now, you know I've, I I I I don't enjoy those seasons as much on the whole as as you know sort of the original bunch of seasons that were on Survivor. I mean that's sort of who we are and all that sort of thing. It, but I was trying to think about what I like about these seasons as compared to seasons that came later. And I think that one of the things is, and I do think that Russell Hance does bring to the season, not not just himself, not only him. So so I don't want anyone there to misquote me and say it's only Russell Hance, but it's partly Russell Hance. But Russell Swan and, and a lot of other people in these episodes, I think Survivor Samoa has a lot of stakes. There's a lot of stakes to it. You know, like people genuinely care about not just not you know coming on survivor again or, or just perhaps winning a million dollars but it, it just seems like they care about what's going on out there and some people don't and some people are just along for the ride but but th- when i'm watching it it's it's like you're i'm interested because the people on screen are super interested and invested in what's going on does that make sense yeah, it does make sense. It's that, you know, people... And I, I will say that, like, I think we're past the era where people go on to Survivor to boost their modeling career, a la a John Kenny. So I'm pretty sure they're there to, you know, for the adventure and, and for the end goal. For yeah. me personally, I mean, I'm not... Uh, I will, I'm not completely in line to, to sort of take umbrage with your comment, Mario. I think I'm definitely probably the, uh, the least high on Samoa in general. I will say... This stretch of episodes has been more fun than those first few episodes, and I'm assuming the latter stretch of episodes. The thing that I've been taking away that we're going to get into, I'm sure, is I have fallen head over heels in love with Shambo Waters, who I <laughs> detested the first time I watched Samoa, just because like, I enjoyed the Foa Foa underdog story, but I just didn't like Russell so much that like I was pissed off at Shambo for essentially ruining it all. But, I mean, going off of what Laura Moret's going to call her, essentially a Gilligan on this island, I think she's an incredible character, especially when it comes to this ironic comedy. And especially with, as we're going to see in this stretch of episodes, she tries to rise to power, 
gets into power and then just mayhem ensues thereafter. Although, let's be fair, it is a puppet regime. She's not really in power. No, I'm excited. Definitely excited to talk about all the Shambo stuff. And I really had a lot of fun, uh, you know, what you just talked about, Mario, that whole puppet regime thing that we'll get to. For me, and I want to apologize in advance, anything that I already said in the first part of this episode, it's felt like six years since we recorded part one. So uh, forgive me if I repeat myself on some of the things that I say. But for me, what this stretch of episodes really, um, what I really liked about it was that the game itself is evolving and they, you know, this is the first time we're going to get a merge with 12 contestants. We're going to have the kidnapping people back and forth. So there are still, there are some changes in the game that, um, you know, that makes the strategy of everything complex. And we have the idols that are going to, you know, play a big part in the second half of the game. But at, at its core, it still is very much an old school survivor game. We'll talk about some of these votes here where they're really battling you know, the, the age-old question of keeping the tribe strong or do you keep someone you can work with? We obviously have the elements that plays a huge role in these next couple episodes. We have an evacuation to talk about. So, um, and um, to top it all off, I was taking notes every time some old-school Survivor music got thrown in there. I was like, oh, here's some Pearl Islands music. Oh, here's some Thailand music. So I think that I had a, a lot of fun watching the stretch because it really did feel like um, what Survivor is at its core for me. So I'm excited to jump into it. Okay, before we uh, proceed here, I do have to bring up one serious thing. This is a, an important order of business for you guys that I have been told, some of our listeners said that, you know, your early episodes of historians are so funny and laid back and you're doing impressions and it's just fun to listen to. And I was told, your last couple episodes are not that funny. So that is our mission today, be funny. Are you guys ready to delve into this and be funny as well? I mean, I'm not your trained monkey, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, do yeah. what I do. Let's not be let's not be the puppet regime of the listeners, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, see this like, is Like oh, funny. the, oh, the listeners have demanded we be funny. Well, I'm, I'm just going to not be funny. <laughs> All right. So there you go. So our to our beloved listeners, Jay says fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say it. You can read between the lines though. Or hear between the words. Yeah. All right. So here we go. We are in episode four of Survivor Samoa, the really not really old school season that for some reason still feels old school when you watch it now. So here we go. We just lost Jason and uh, I'm going to Wait, grab my what? Yeah, Jay. Or sorry. 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> Which edit, what? what edit did you watch? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, we're in the third part. You guys aren't ready. We're in episode 12 now. Yeah, we're at the finale right now. Uh, well, I mean, we almost lose Jason because it's yeah. it's funny because in the last episode, Jason sort of puts forward this facade of like, look, if you don't get rid of Ben, I'm going to quit. It turns out maybe he was sort of uh, heeding his own words as I guess it's a really miserable day. It's going to get a lot more miserable in Samoa coming up. But Jason has actually sort of had it. I think this is where he says this is the worst decision he's ever made in his life. And so... There's a small chance, but at least the show is portraying to us that he might actually quit the game after falsely suggesting he would last time just to get rid of Ben. Okay. I, think, I was, I think I was Mario... talking about his heart. Yeah, his heart had left. Well, I, I was going to say uh, we've lost Jason's relevance in screen time. <laughs> to okay. be fair, I, I was surprised because I don't know if we'll get to the merge episode, but he does come back briefly in the merge episode. But yeah, this is uh that was Jason's sort of big moment in Survivor Samoa. So okay. enjoy enjoy Jason the background character for ten more episodes. All right. I will clarify. We have lost Ben. 
and Ben is gone, so now we're going into episode four. And I will point out again, as this, this is the thing we do on this uh, show, is that we point out the the very generous again edit that Russell gets as we go into the previously on Survivor to start episode four. And of course, the whole point of this previously on Survivor is during the confrontation last night, Russell realized his best play was voting off Ben. So again, we're going to keep hammering you with this over the, over your head until I mean for this entire episode that this is what they do every episode at the start of every episode. How did this affect Russell? Well, Russell decided to do this, and they will just hammer that, and they won't mention what anybody else does, what anybody else's thought process is. So it's just one of these things. This is how editing works. So. I'm sure we're going to piss off a lot of people by saying this, but when you watch the season and you think, well, Russell's the only one who did anything, Russell deserved to win, that's because the editors told you to think that way. I mean, it's not your fault. That's just the way, until you start watching the show over and over, you catch what the editors do. It's very understandable why you would think that way, but it's very blatant when you watch it. Watch Samoa again, watch the previously on segments, and watch how every single decision is framed through Russell's mindset. How Russell was the only important one, Russell decided what happened, and Russell was responsible for everything, which is not true. That is not the way that Survivor works, but that is the message that everybody gets from the season the first time they watch it. So that's all I'm saying. Watch this again, and you will see what the editors do and how Russell is overly built up. And I think that, I mean, aside from those, that's a nice microcosm, I agree, but it'll show again in, in this uh, in this episode when, as I mentioned before, you know, Jason is uh, feeling not so good, and then it immediately cuts to Russell stating how much he doubts Jason's manliness for possibly leaving the game. I mean, this will be will not be the last time that Russell, you know, talks down to people for not being able to survive these horrible conditions. But yeah, I'd say the first uh, three minutes of this episode are solely focused on Russell, but that's also on a bright side, pretty much the only Russell-focused parts of this episode. Yeah, I, I'm just, again, I'm just reiterating that over. I, I cannot say this enough that no player in Survivor history had been given this kind of generous edit where they were responsible for every single thing. It's like, that's what we do as Survivor historians. We have to point that out, that this has never happened before. It has never happened since. It's just this one outlier season, and that's why people feel so strongly about this episode, because they just remember that part, and they don't realize the bigger picture of how it's all just edit. Do you think this is just a question I'm posing mm-hmm. because we, we talked about, uh, you know, if, if, that a couple of seasons ago that Jeff really started to use the previously on segments to sort of drive Jeff's narrative. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't always a thing, but now it's a thing. The last time we had this sort of deal, I mean, I guess we had Amanda going from China into Micronesia uh, and such. So I guess there's that. But but I, I'm thinking even farther back. I'm thinking Pearl Islands with Rupert going into All Stars. You know, Rupert was a big character in Pearl Islands, and and no matter how you slice it, he's going to be a big character. And I think that with Russell, Russell's going to be a character no matter how you slice it. He gets all the way to the end. He's on the right side of pretty much every vote. Like, you know, and just his machinations and his scheming. Like, there's no way he's not a big character, even if the edit is you know peeled back a bit from all of the russell sort of stuff but my question is do you would do you think if jeff had that same mindset of like i've got to use the previously on to drive a narrative home and really sell the person that's going to come on the next all-star season do they do that with rupert in season seven do you think 
That's an excellent question. I think they probably do, but you got the, I mean, we're going to spoil heroes versus villains here that Russell gets to the end in this season and season. It's, uh, I mean, Rupert obviously doesn't get to the end in Pearl Islands and he kind of gets close to the end in all stars, but you never get the sense he was really that close. I do think maybe he would have done that if probes had approached the show a little differently back then. I'd, curious what all of you think about that one that's um that's an interesting question i never thought of that about that before call me naive i i i feel like because all stars was such an unfounded territory i don't know if they were necessarily in the mind frame of okay here's this one player from season seven we really need to build them up i think it's honestly just like this rupert guy is absolute gold pirate gold as it is uh and you know i think comparing the russell and Rupert edit is sort of like comparing night and day considering that I don't think people were like it was Rupert was the one who got Andrew Savage out of the game you know when you when they the narrative sort of misattributing certain moves I think if I'm putting myself in the producer's mind frame around this point they're saying okay we've been around the block with the returning player seasons this is now our fourth season involving returning players here's a guy coming through who's making these big bombastic moves let's really build him up yeah and I would even say maybe it's not even specific to Russell. Like maybe it has nothing to do with Russell. Maybe this is just Jeff and the producers saying, this is what we want players to do. Like maybe it's not even him. Maybe this is just them trying to drive the players in a certain way to play a certain type of game. Yeah, they approach the whole Rupert thing differently. It's like, how can we get this guy a million bucks? Ha <laughs> 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 ha! That's good. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is a great Charlie Kaufman impression. <laughs> Daddy, I, I, again, I didn't look, even know I was doing that, but yeah, thank I, you. I, 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 in, I in no way am comparing the two players, Rupert and, and Russell, as, as as being the same player or playing similar games. Because, yeah, quite clearly, Rupert does not make the finals in either of those two seasons. Um, he does make the final episode in, in All-Stars. But, yes, he, he's he's clearly not as influential or as effectual on the game as perhaps Russell has has been on Samoa and also uh, Heroes versus Villains. Uh, that being said, it's just an interesting sort of thing where, like, because Russell is this force in both Samoa and in uh, Heroes versus Villains, it, it seems like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe one sort of predicates the other, and then I, I always sort of think about that with, with a... a a season going into an all-star season and, and sort of how we do editing to sort of pump up the person that's going to be on the next season as well. And I'm also going to, I'll challenge the notion, Mario, that the producers did it this way to tell people that this is how the game is played. I think it was an unfortunate externality from it is that I think a certain portion of the fandom is like, okay, this is how you're supposed to play. But I don't know. I, I feel like now that we live in a day and age where there are modifications to the end game that have existed that possibly might have occurred because of certain outcomes that happen in certain seasons, wouldn't you think they would have done that sooner had they really not gotten the outcome they wanted in both of those seasons? Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. I was just posing the question. I do think um, the producers steering the way that the game would want to, they want it to be played does happen in Survivor history, but it is a little later. It's really not at this point. They still trust the process. I think they were just enamored with Russell. They were so excited to have a guy like this on their show that they really went for it. And again, I, I, I know people know that I don't like Russell, so I'm not just making this up. Like When you guys watch these previously on Survivors, it jumps out to you, too, that Russell is getting credit for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just making sure I'm not, not just talking out of my butt here. 
You're not talking out of your butt, but I guess it raises the larger question of what do they want and what does everybody want? You know, I, I think that the assumption is it's kind of like all of us in this Internet fandom of Survivor that, you know, we must rank winners or we must say who is the best player. It's always this sort of, uh, you know, quantifying what we see on 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 the screen. And it's like Survivor is not a sport. It will never be a sport because, you know, it's it's not ever really on a fair sort of playing field with anything you know it's not like it's just 16 uh, competitors who've all had equal amounts of training and some sort of thing going in there and competing for some sort of championship it's a reality show it's a reality game show you know there there are people that are there that are cutthroated to win a million bucks there, there are people that are out there just you know because they're here for the adventure and some people just want to be on tv you know there's so many different things going on and and i think the the thing is is that we really want you know, we really want to say, well, Russell was a great player because, you know, he was going on this thing to win the million dollars or Russell was this blah, blah, blah. And the producers loved Russell and the producers thought that Russell's way of playing was great. And it's like, I think that more than anything, Russell is is a, is an insanely profitable TV character, especially for Survivor. And they just went, how can we maximize this game? Because at the bottom line, Survivor wants to make money. Yeah. And then from by that regard, you can just say maybe the fans maybe read into it a little too much where they start quoting these things as gospel. And maybe the producers didn't even intend to do that. The producers are just trying their best to get him extra airtime. And it's kind of the fans that have taken that and run with it. Or at least they did. I don't know if it's still to that extent. But, I mean, there was a time when you could not go on a Survivor message board and say that, Survivor, that Russell wasn't like the greatest player of all time because you'd get shut down by like every fan. It was the weirdest time. Yeah, so it was it was again it was a very odd time to be in the Survivor fandom at the time where just Russell people are going crazy over him and talking about how he was the greatest player ever and again there's this people hear these anecdotal stories that I started watching Rus uh, Survivor because of Russell. He's the only reason I came back to the show, the only reason I started. So this was a very pivotal time where the fan base really starts changing and this kind of this guy kind of becomes their messiah, the one they're going to follow as this is the end all be all of every Survivor character ever. And again for a couple seasons it really was that. I'm not exaggerating. This was a one of the most distinct eras of the show to be a fan. And as, as all of us, all four of us were in there from the beginning, would you guys agree with that as well? Was this just a, it was just a very odd time to be on the message boards and be part of the fan base. And again, this was pre podcast, pre lots of social media interaction with the fans. It was just, it was just a, it was a, the fan base kind of changed a little bit for a couple of years there. Well, I think that, yeah, I mean, it's always tough to sort of cover the the changing paradigm of the internet. But I think that around that time, because I think that the community was generally like unanimous behind certain seasons, right? Like Cook Islands is great, Fiji not great, Micronesia and China amazing, et cetera, et cetera. This was the first time where I feel like some real polarization happened, an extreme polarization where it's like. Russell is the greatest, and if you don't believe that, you are the biggest asshole I've ever met. You know, yeah. and that's and that's where maybe some of the more negative aspects of the Survivor fan community that we know and love sort of came about. Where, like you sort of said, Mario, uh, people started taking this as gospel that you know this is what actually happened. Therefore, I know how this works, so you're wrong. That's when that mentality I feel like really started to come about. I mean, I can't remember for the life of me when these types of conversations about, like, Tina beating Colby, for example, yeah. you know, or Amber beating Rob. 
it may, oh, yeah. it maybe it's just maybe it's just because it was a different internet culture, but it felt like around this time, and maybe that was sort of also burgeoning with this idea of growing social media, which Twitter wasn't necessarily around, but Facebook was becoming more popular, and so it was easier to just sort of, you know, expend your thoughts on the internet in some way, shape, or form. But from what I recall, this was really a portion of time where you had those people that were starting to come on of, you know, the Russell Woods robbed, you know, Russell, as you said, greatest player of all time. You're wrong if you don't think so. You know, uh, screw you, all these other players. This is the person that we need to bow down to. Yeah, although I would argue that All-Stars was just as polarizing. It just, there wasn't as much direct interaction. I mean, the burgeoning beginning of the social media wasn't there like we were with Samoa, but All-Stars was absolutely just as polarizing where that was where the fan base, at least from my experience, just split, I mean, 180 degrees. It was like either your Rob was the greatest player ever, Rob was the biggest asshole ever. So it was kind of the precursor, and that's why I always laugh that uh, Redemption Island became Russell versus Rob because that was really Rob's uh, reputation for many years. He was the original Russell that split the fan base and divided people over what they thought a good player looked like. So that's kind of a little amusing thing that they became rivals later when for a while they were kind of the same thing. I would argue two things. Uh, one being not not just the rise of of this polarity and and things like that, but also just the avenues in which people discuss the show. Mm, exactly. um, yeah. The back in the all-star days and in the, in the Rob Mariano days, you know, it's what survivor sucks and you know what fishbowl, there's just a handful of things that, you know, you can go to, to talk about survivor. And it was just kind of this closer knit community. And it's like, it's, it, it, it blew up and blew up and blew up and blew up and blew up. And now, you know, there's so many more things, like you said, with Facebook and other such as social media things. And remember, I think it's during this season or perhaps Survivor Heroes versus Villains where some guy named Sester Nino is going to really start a podcast here. And, and you know, all the other podcasts, you know, uh, the tribe, I think, starts uh, at Heroes versus Villains. Like, you know, all of these podcasts and, and now today you have so many podcasts, you have so many hours of content to digest uh, what's going on you have so many different like survivor communities and it's again it's this whole sort of ranking system so i would say that there's the rise of that in in the sense of you know the the avenues in which you can go so it's like you know you you can you can see or hear people that have your point of view because not everyone agrees with every single thing but it's like somebody somewhere is on a prominent podcast that is shouting what you think and i think that that's a really important thing that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's although I, we always need to bring up the fact that it the way you described it sounds like Survivor got bigger and bigger and bigger. It really didn't. It's a smaller and smaller niche market compared to the All Stars audience. But yeah, it's right. it's just spread out in so many different directions. Yep. Like I remember a huge fight about whether Russell was the greatest player of all time on the internet internet movie database message boards. Mm -hmm. for for some reason like why was the fight there and all of a sudden there was a fight there like you wouldn't see survivor discussed there in 2004 but like i just remember this huge thing blowing up about russell fans against russell haters on the imdb like what the hell where the hell did that come from i mean russell is the greatest movie star to grace our generation so i think it makes sense <laughs> but i i think that goes to the second point you know with the rise and again it's it's not necessarily that the fandom's getting bigger it's it's that the amount of digestible content of 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 people analyzing Survivor got bigger, and and sort of the the people who you know Survivor becomes this niche thing, and I think that that's the, that's the thing, the rise of ways that hardcore Survivor fans can listen, digest, speak about their favorite show, but also just the fact that Survivor itself has 
you know, we can all talk about it, you know, and we can all talk about, oh, Survivor, you know, it's the original, the greatest, it's, you know, got this sort of, you know, no one can hold the candle to Survivor reality show, all, all this sort of stuff. That's all well and good. But Survivor back in the in the Borneo and Survivor Australia days was a phenomenon. So many people watched the show. It crossed over into this real sort of – it crossed over into the mainstream and it crossed over hard. And and that sort of – you know, when you hear people every once in a while mention Survivor, like, oh, that person's getting voted off the island. They're thinking back to like – that time, the the 2000, 2001 time when Survivor was this phenomenon, it's not a phenomenon anymore. Russell does sort of bring in, and Survivor Samoa and Heroes versus Villains brings it a little mainstream, but just a little bit. Survivor now is very comfortably this niche show. It has its viewer base that is not necessarily changing so much in numbers. And because of that, it's no longer, you know, back in the Rob Mariano days and, and things like that, Survivor was the star. Survivor, the show, was bigger than everyone. And it was like, you can't touch Survivor. And now it's this niche market. So now these big characters, like Russell Hansen comes along, he can maybe challenge Survivor and say, maybe I'm holding up Survivor. Not not totally the whole franchise, but just for this moment. And I think that that's important as well, is that with not, not just the rise of of the ways you can digest Survivor, but just the fact that Survivor has fallen into this niche. And so now people can maybe try to break out of that niche. It's no it's no longer the show crossing over to mainstream. It's people on the show crossing over mainstream. That is a fantastic point. Well said, Jay. I'm, I'm glad we have you on the show still. Thank you for sticking around. No, Jay, that's not funny. <laughs> I I mean, it wasn't. I'm I, I have failed. I will I will mute my mic and I will go flagellate myself in the corner and uh, you guys uh, carry on. Yeah, Mike, just insert a fart joke after the Jay's comment there. Yeah, I'll make sure. I'll do that every, every after every time Jay yeah. speaks. Or, or maybe a, a lemon tree sound drop. Oh, you know really what? That's, that's fantastic. really takes us back to a good time. Can, can, can you make the lemon tree, tree sound sound drop like, like a bunch of times, like a hundred times in a row? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, can you make the lemon tree sound like fart? Like yeah. the lemon tree can you, sound can, can like the, Can the lemon tree fart? <laughs> mm, all right, I'll, I'll do some work. I'll do some work. But I mean, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no survivor editor, but I'll try to do my work behind the scenes to attribute everything to the great farting lemon tree. <laughs> there we go. So our listeners, I hope you laughed at that. We're doing our best. We're selling our souls for your amusement here. All right, moving on to Survivor. <laughs> here we are. Jason and his heart have just left, and uh, Ben's left. So yeah. So basically, in episode four, we have. Uh, Jason regrets that he's sticking around. He doesn't want to be here anymore. And Russell's like, uh, what kind of man is that? You don't got no heart. You don't deserve to be here. And then on the other side, we got DeShambo, who just does not fit in with uh, what are you laughing at. I'm, I love this because Shambo, not only did, is she like, oh, the other people like me over there. Shambo believes in her, what, 12 hours spent at Foa Foa that they now are regarding her as some sort of cult leader. That they, what did she say? They now have she an appreciation. Yeah, they have an appreciation for Shambo. <laughs> yeah, Shambo is a whole different level of delusion that we're we're, we're going to see this over and over in the season. And again, I think I forget if I mentioned this on part one. I, I know Paul, Paul had mentioned that earlier that we have no idea what we talked about on part one. But when I started writing entries about Shambo on the Funny One Fifteen, I got so much pushback. People are like, she sucks. She's not funny. Stop trying to make Shambo happen. And I'm like, but she's crazy. Like, how can you not appreciate that? And I'm glad to hear that over the years, other people have started to kind of agree with me that she's amusing in her delusion. But yeah, she was a tough sell at the time. Like she was this big fan favorite and you were supposed to take her seriously. 
but I don't know how anybody could because she's clearly crazy. Yeah, she she's invented all this delusion that the foa foas love her, and we're gonna hear throughout this episode and then the future episodes that Laura is apparently doing all these horrible things to her, despite Laura, I, I'm sure, not actually knowing who Shambo is. Yeah, so the one-sided feud starts here. So anyway, let's go. We are in episode four here. Let's go to the reward challenge, which is one of the all-time great survivor reward challenges, a.k.a. the one where Probst just forgets to show up. Well, but before we do, one quick thing, because, again, I just want to harp again that we are finally getting to know Galoo in this episode, and we're starting to see a bit of the dynamics that are going on. It continues past uh, Shambo's uh, godlike tendencies when... Eric, who really, and I think we talked about this last time, again, selective memory, I feel like Eric is really, like, the big strategic guy on Galoo, which is surprising that he becomes the merge boot, but he sort of comes up with this idea of, hey, Shamo's been over to Foa Foa, she knows where that idol is, there's a good chance that there's one in our camp, too, in the same location, so this is where, like, the eric Shambo relationship is going to build over the course of time, and this is where he brings her in, but also we have... John Fincher, always sort of the thorn in Eric's side, coming in and telling Shambo the exact same thing. So the the relationship of Shambo to specifically the guys on the tribe is going to be very interesting, considering that Shambo, again, to the Mario's point, thinks she has much more of a two-way relationship with these guys than she actually does, where they're essentially just utilizing her for information and a vote. And she does this fun thing uh, where, you know, uh, Shambo's like, okay, guys, like, these are the clues. Uh, hey, listen, you better give me your votes at the end, huh? And then she, like, t- double taps them both on the shoulders and then just runs away for no reason. So <laughs> I'm excited to, to keep track of this, of how the men are just absolutely utilizing Shambo as if she's some sort of, like, advantage that's hidden on the island. Yeah, and, and make sure we talk about this more throughout this episode, this dynamic of the three men kind of at the head of Galoo. I think that's actually the most interesting part of the season. And, and so just remind me, we have to talk about that later. The uh, Dave Ball versus Fincher versus Eric. Who's really in charge there? Okay, so the reward challenge. The Jeff Probes forgets to show up because he's doing his talk show that day challenge. This is literally like, I mean, look, there are other reward challenges that are better. And there are other reward challenges that have got great moments in them and stuff like that. But I just defy you as a whole to look at this entire reward challenge segment and not tell me it's just one of the best things in Survivor ever. It's just the best. Holy crap. So yeah. it's been it's been, you know, almost ten years since this happened. Do we have any insight as to what happened? Cause I know that uh they tried this out again in Survivor One World, but for as far as I know, like, Jeff wasn't sick. Uh, he's done stuff when he's sick. He, I don't know if he was, like, injured or something, but for some reason they just decided to try out, hey, let's put them on the beach and have them figure out what they need to do for a few seconds before reading a note. Had, had this ever happened on Survivor before this? I'm trying to think back. It never has. This was the first. And well, I mean, what I recall from that time is, I mean, maybe there was some underlying reason that they sold us, to it, sold us about it later. I think it really was them trying to be a little experimental. Oh, what are we going to do if the castaways, what if there's no Jeff there? Are they going to abide by the rules? And I think maybe they're hoping for it to be a little more contentious than it actually ended up being. But that that's the way that it was being sold at the time, is that it was a little experimental with the format. Yeah, because if there's one word I would use to describe the scene, it's contentious. This week on Survivor <laughs> Horseshoes. Well, yeah, so I guess we'll describe it. So the, the chief is choosing two people to go with them to a challenge. And it just says the challenge will like lead you to having more food. And uh, Mick chose Russell for the strategy and Natalie for puzzles. 
and uh, which actually ends up being the final three. And then Russell Swan chooses Shambo and Dave because he needs some brains and some firepower. You can only imagine which is which. Uh, and they get there, Wait, and it's just firepower. Yeah, what, is she gonna I, I bring did... guns. <laughs> I mean, Shambo's got some pretty. She's pretty jacked, so I think she already brought the guns. I just like that term, firepower. Why do we need firepower? <laughs> uh, but they arrive, and it's basically a big circle in the sand, and there's a treasure chest, and there's a cage of chickens. And I just love Shambo's, like, matter-of-factness that she knows what the challenge is. She just says, ah, we're going to have to cash the chickens, and we earn whatever's in the pirate chest. She's got it. Always one <laughs> step ahead, that Shambo. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> just can somebody do a Shambo impression, please? Paul, somebody? God, I never worked on a Shambo one before. What does she I even see, sound like? Well, she grew up right near me, so we should have a similar accent, and that's—I I feel like this falls on my shoulders. So I will—I will do my best to work up a Shambo impression at some point. I will try my best, guys. I will—I will try to bring the firepower. Make sure it's funny, though. <laughs> well, it's Shambo, so it's not going to be that funny. <laughs> we could try something experimental where you show up with the Shambo impression without the actual impression yeah how about the next part of the podcast we all come in with different impressions and it's like the host didn't even show up <laughs> yeah uh, i got my mick dibs on mick okay so yeah so we have this whole challenge the do-it-yourself bochi ball challenge and uh this is the day yeah, how did you pronounce that <laughs> how's it pronounced bocce ball i don't i don't live in a country club like you east coasters i have no idea what this shit is <laughs> It's Italian. <laughs> I don't know any Italian. Oh, uh, <laughs> Mario's like, I refuse. It's lawn bowling, okay? <laughs> What's the matter? With this you, you throw the ball at the target. I don't know what this is called. The bocce ball. <laughs> Maybe they were hoping that there'd be some like West Coast, East Coast fighting over this. We're gonna play bocce ball. No, it's bocce ball. No, it's bocce ball. Oh yes, I mean second only to the uh, Biggie Tupac East Coast West Coast feud comes the bocce ball versus bocce ball saga of the late nineties. I should point out that I am a writer, not a talker, and this is a thing that I often have problems with is pronouncing things because I never say them out loud. I just write them. So <laughs> if it is indeed bocce ball, I apologize to all my Italian brethren. Which and it to is. All, yeah, and to <laughs> all of if, if indeed. I mean, arguably. I know that the, the, uh, the jury is still out there if it's bocce or bocce, so I don't want to <laughs> speak for the English language, but I'm, I apologize to all our listeners who somehow wow. knew that shut the fuck up, Jay Fisher. Similar levels of shambo delusion in this. I think my favorite thing is that he hedged. He's like, if it actually is bocce. <laughs> if indeed. Uh, now, if you pronounce it wrong, you gotta you gotta just pull the full Sean Spencer from Psych. You just go, I've heard it both ways. Yeah, of course. The jury's still out. So anyway, because it's controversial game that we play, and Dave Ball, in his moment of glory, he's the one that wins. He thrusts his arms in the air, and it's a very exciting scene, even though I have in my notes here, what the fuck is this scene? Like, it's just crazy. There's no host. No one knows what the rules are. They're just playing for chickens. I'm like, is this really what Survivor has turned into here at this point? Yeah, but it was like a metered game of bocce ball, because usually in bocce ball, you know, you, you have your bocce balls, but you also have like a jack ball, like a, a, a smaller ball. And so the mm. whole point is, is that you throw the jack ball out somewhere and then you got you take turns, you know, rolling or throwing your bocce balls. And, you know, it's it's the same concept, right? Like the closest ball, 
gets the point and you know it's, it's usually like up to 15 you play mid different rounds so like if you have right. two balls that are closest at the end of the round you get two points and so forth it's like curling i guess it's sort of right. the same thing but but with this one like they don't trust them with the jack ball like they put sort of like a horseshoe post or just a, a stick in the middle it's just a stick but it was, it was right in the middle and they were like get it close to the stick because we don't trust you to throw a, a jack ball around there just just throw it at the stick we'll just well, just do it you- you know, guys, when I did um, Survivor Montana, the original series in my backyard where I knocked my brother out during a challenge, um, the challenge that I lost during my Tribal Council boot was indeed a bocce, not bocce ball challenge. And I remember distinctly the tree. Well, there's your problem, for... Paul. If you were <laughs> well, playing bocce, you might have had a chance. Right, maybe. Yeah. And I remember I had to write the tree mail for it, and the tree mail read bocce ball it's an italian game but we promise it's not lame and then i can't remember what the rest was but i do remember that part of it but i lost and uh that's when uh, my brother stabbed me in the back so i think actually they probably took this from uh from my show do you need a just, hug paul yeah it's kind of bringing up some like rough memories <laughs> here memories. i will i will say that the thing that i kind of love about it is that it feels like survivor the home game because they have to take it out of this chest, and they set up that flag, as you mentioned, Jay. They're the ones that determine the turn order. Like, I don't know if Survivor was trying to, because those first two board games were, uh, I had both of them, and I played them awful, often, but they were pretty awful. I wonder if they were trying to, like, surreptitiously also market some version of, like, here's a Survivor challenge you can play in your own backyard. Yes. So anyway, Dave Ball is the champion, and I, I'm just noticing in my notes, I even wrote bocce. I spelled it out how to pronounce it so I wouldn't mispronounce it, so there you go. Somehow I avoided what, that. What so, was yeah. that about you being a writer, not a reader? <laughs> and not to plug your stuff excessively, but I am going to plug it. The The entry for this challenge that is that is in the Funny 115, or the one that includes this, I, that's like my favorite picture, the one where like... You know, Dave Ball throws, it's his last throw, and he throws the the winning shot. Like, he throws, the, the final ball that he throws is the one that gets closest. And, you know, when he throws it, he's, you know, they, they're elated that, that they've won. And it's like him and Russell Swan, they're, like, running up and, you know, pointing at the ball and stuff like that. And it's that picture of them going over, and it says, like, Russell, Russell, Dave Ball, Dave's ball. <laughs> and Captain Obvious, that's Russell. He's pointing to the win. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's one of my favorites. Again, it's just such an underrated scene, and it's one of these scenes, if you haven't watched Samoa in a while, you kind of forget that there's this goofy stuff in the middle of the season. And yeah, Galoo wins, and they win the chickens, and it's hilarious because these chickens will be a plot point for like the rest of the season, and it all leads back to this scene. This is like a pivotal scene in this episode, in this whole season. So yeah, so Galoo wins, they get the... uh, the chickens, and I believe, if I recall, as they're winning the chickens and everything, Eric is back at camp looking for the idol because Shambo has given him the clue. And is this where Eric finds the idol up in the tree? Have we? Could we talk about how Eric sort of has a a, a connection to the trees? Does he? Why don't you? Why don't you elaborate on that, Jay? Maybe, maybe you would call him some sort of spirit of the tree. He's straight out of Fern Gully. Yeah, maybe it might a be a sprite. No, a sprite, a Keebler elf, maybe. I, yeah. de- I also demand a funny one fifteen entry on this because this is hilarious stuff. All right, do I have to spell this out? Okay, I got to <laughs> say this. I will fully admit, I've written three hundred and forty-five funny one fifteen entries, and there's one that was terrible, that I absolutely was embarrassed by. It was not good, and I immediately yanked it from the website about three months later. It, or maybe that's not immediate, but I ended up. I was so embarrassed by this one entry, I yanked it and replaced it with something else. And it was called Eric the Tree Sprite, and it was how Eric was always 
every one of his confessionals or scenes, he's hidden in a tree somewhere, which my wife still thinks is hilarious. And I, it is a good entry. I just, I didn't capture it well. So I, I embarrassed and I sl- silently took it off my website and replaced it with uh, Michelle falling off the platform in Fiji. So there are, <laughs> yeah, there are a few people that know Eric the Tree Sprite nowadays, but there are some assholes like Jay Fisher who continue to remember and remind me of it. So that is what we're joking about here. That yes, that is my shame as a writer that I, I, uh, I removed that entry and it is long forgotten now. The Eric the Tree Sprite entry. There's no record of it anywhere on the internet anymore, hopefully. And I hope that was funny enough for you people. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so so they win. Galoo wins the chickens and they come back and there's a <laughs> great scene here of all of them marching back with the chickens and and <laughs> I just wrote this and circled it in my notes where Russell goes over to Shambo and he's like, do you know anything about chicken Shambo? And she's like, of course. And it's like, if you've seen the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, it's like the scene where the guy in the music shop asks Beethoven if he's some kind of a musician. That's basically the question. Shambo, do you have any knowledge of chickens? Because this will be her entire storyline for the next four episodes is chicken trivia. Shambo would also, She her hair seems like she'd be like a Wild Stallions fan. <laughs> she would. And then we also get the confessional here from Dave Ball, where I, I hope to do this justice. Again, Dave Ball, one of my favorites in the season. I gave him a character entry on the Funny 115. Just goofy, awkward, weird guy with these long arms. Like, imagine a T-Rex with those little tiny arms, and then imagine just the opposite, and that's Dave Ball with arms that are, like, way too long for his body. And so this whole confessional where he's talking about how he won the chickens, and he says, uh, I won chickens. On the inside, and he holds his arms up, and he's like, we win, we win, yes. However, I'm just trying to say it, stay emotionally centered and humble within the tribe. Getting cocky is a quick win to show me the door, quick way to show me the door. However, I won chicken. What did you do? Not that. Peace. Dave Ball. <laughs> the definitive too, Dave Ball quote. It's two sides to the coin there, because you have Shambo and you have Dave Ball, and, and it's great to see all the Shambo love you know, that that's coming along here and Mike, you know, appreciating Shambo. But like, I wouldn't say two sides of the same coin, but they're like sort of the same sides of slightly different coins. Cause it's like, they're both just there. Like, like why is Shambo on the show? <laughs> you know? And, 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 and conversely, why is Dave Ball on the show? Like, I, I don't, I'm not firmly convinced they're there or, or we're even aware that survivor was a thing. But at the same time, like, Shambo has got this, like, I'm going to take charge, and she clearly can't take charge. I know about these things. She clearly doesn't know about these things. Whereas, like, Dave makes none of these things. He doesn't want to be the leader so per se most of the time. And he doesn't – but, you know, he's just – he's there. And he just has the funniest crap. And, and and he's got the greatest looks. You know, his looks to Shambo and the chickens. Just everything about Dave Ball is just gold. Dave Ball looks like uh, the black sheep of the Slender Man family. <laughs> slender. <laughs> well, that was funny. There you go. Our slender audience should appreciate that one. But yeah, Dave Ball, he's one of these guys. Yeah, I, I've never figured out what niche he filled on the show, why he was cast. I'm assuming he just gets on there and he gives great interviews and you're just amused by him. And you can see that over and over in the season. He talks, people laugh or he amuses people. They just like having him around. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure what his niche is on this show. I'm not entirely sure in what other universe a Dave Ball would ever have to interact with a Shambo. That's the other thing that I find fun about this one. 
but yeah, it's just a fun little uh, quirky relationship. And we get it right here where Shambo tells everyone, well, you know, we have chickens now at camp. We have to have a relationship with them. So she like leans down and starts talking to the chickens and just the absolute greatest Dave Ball double take. Cause he just kind of shoots a look to her like the hell are you doing talking to those chickens? Well, because all so, she's doing is just leaning over like she's not even speaking. She's just going back. Ah, 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 ah. Like she's making velociraptor noises at the chickens, where she's like, <laughs> "Yeah, they're not even like, good noises." She's like, "I was never meant to be a chicken farmer, but I'm a, I was around them at a young age, and I guess her relationship is to like scare the chickens in, into submission." And again, Eric's relationship with Shambo is so complicated because they work together. He doesn't even pronounce her name correctly for the first like two weeks of the game. But on top of the day ball look, it cuts right up to Eric, who visually face palms just reacting to all this. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that she would make velociraptor noises at chickens because dinosaurs did turn into birds. Oh no! Don't say cha- don't say chaos theory. Russell's gonna go crazy about that. Mike, Mike, Mike. Life was finds gonna a way. Say, Lord Morant uh, may differ with you on that one, Jay. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> she might run you down with her Harley and her. Star- yeah, I was gonna uh, say all the all the motorcycle <laughs> all the motorcycycling priests are gonna come to the Fisher oh, house right now. The Starbucks I'm, gang. I'm dead. <laughs> All right, we will rescue uh, Jay and go on to a more important part of the season. There's actually a very, this is arguably one of the most important scenes of this entire season coming up here, where we go back to Foa Foa after all the chicken hijinks on Galoo, where uh, it's all raining and everyone's miserable, and Jason, of course, wants to give up again. And this is where Russell tells us, you know, I wanted Jason to be in the final two with me, and he just doesn't have the heart. He's going to quit. I just don't like any of this. And he's like, I need someone as my final two partner who can help me. Someone like Natalie. And this is a a pivotal scene here where uh, <laughs> where it's it's like overdubbed. I was watching the scene the other day, and it's clearly it's like overdubbed. It's not from this moment. They take it from another no. point <laughs> in the season or something. Yeah, and it says like uh, Russell's like she's going to ride my coattails the whole way. She's too stupid to do it on her own. And it's like it's clearly overdubbed. And then they cut to Natalie, a confessional where they like they make a final two deal. And then Natalie has a confessional, which is even weirder because this one looks like it's like taken from day 39 and they just insert it here on day 12 or whatever. And and it's like she says, you know, if I can get to the end, I think I can beat him. He rubs people the wrong way. I'm good at building relationships, which, again, it's why and Natalie will end up winning the season. But. If you watch this confessional, it's clearly a cheat. They take it from, like, you guys noticed this, too. That's from day 39, right? And they just stuck it right here. The weather's sure totally like... different. She's skinnier. It's, like, the perfect lighting for her final, you know, the, all those. The interviews they do in the final, you know, the final episode are always really, like, way more, like, epic and, like, really well lit and everything. And, yeah, it was that was from later on. I'm pretty sure it was taken from, like, day four of Heroes versus Villains at that point. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just the editors are doing really funky stuff with this season, and the more you watch the season, the more you catch it. That it's just, it's just not, I wouldn't say not accurate. It's just not uh, uh, responsible, kind of the way they tell the story. And I know they do that in every season, but it's so blatant in this season when you start catching them doing it. And this Natalie one again, I'm not just bagging on Russell. I'm bagging on the whole Natalie story too. It's just a cheat. They just take a quote from the end and put it here, and so it, it's really obvious when you see it. So. Um, Anything else to say about this scene? Again, this is a, it's very pivotal to this story, and I don't think people realize it's kind of sitting here in episode four. I mean, what do you think the alternative could have been? Put this scene later on? Try to pull a previous confessional from her? I mean, I can understand that the physical discrepancy, which I think is, is what's sort of causing the, the eagle-eyed status here, but 
I mean, I think that this is a like you said, it's very important, and I'm 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 glad that because we're going to talk a lot, I think, about Natalie's edit over the course of these podcasts. I'm glad they at least put something in in the pre-merge because we're going to get this, we're going to get her, you know, talking with Laura, and I feel like. You know, if you're trying to tell the game from Russell's perspective, which more or less they're kind of trying to do this season, that scene that we're going to get later on of Russell saying, I recruited Natalie to go talk to Laura, wouldn't make sense unless we get this scene of the two of them on the beach, where we get this narrative now that, you know, when we find out later, why did he vote out Jason? Why did he vote out Shambo? You know, this is why, is because he made this close relationship with her amongst all the other quote unquote dumbass girls. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I don't know if you necessarily needed the scene right here, and I really don't think you needed that in Natalie's thoughts on it right here. Again, I will defend defend Natalie as a character and a winner to the death, but it's just so obvious the scene is out of place here. I just don't think you needed to have it here. I think the story works just fine with it saying, Russell saying, I need a new Final Two partner, and maybe just show him cutting his eyes over to Natalie, and you can cut it off there, and the audience is smart enough to figure out where it's going to go, but again, I just think it's weird how the, audience, the editors kind of have to beat you over the head with it here all right enough of that non-funny stuff let's get to a, an escaped chicken Nine one one. <laughs> yes here we go again another i don't know how many funny 115 entries i have just from this episode alone i think it's like five or six but yeah here we go the big scene where we go back to galoo's camp and and shambo of course is the chicken whisperer she has a relationship with the chickens she is bonding with them and one of them escapes all of a sudden shambo somehow is outsmarted by a chicken which if you've ever known a chicken is hard to do they are not bright creatures but somehow a chicken has outsmarted shambo and she's it's running around the camp and shambo's screaming escape chicken 911 uh i love this and then yeah and then we get to the scene where they're all running around this camp trying to catch this chicken and this is where eric again this comedy just writes itself and thank God Dave ball was there to explain it to us. But where Eric goes after the chicken and he literally catches his neck on the clothesline and he, you know, he goes flailing back. It's just this brutal thing of him going flying. Cause he hits the clothesline. And that's the funny thing that Dave ball points out. I'm not sure if this is just a pro wrestling term or what it's known as, but in pro wrestling, what it's known as where you take your arm and cram it and ram it into somebody's neck and they go flying backwards. It's called a clothesline. And so Dave Ball points out to us that Eric literally got clotheslined by the clothesline, which is, again, any Mario, comedy I, writer has to appreciate I, that right there. I think it's called a clothesline. It could okay. be. Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> That's not funny. See, we're going to keep the funny stuff in, and we're going to cut Paul's non-funny stuff out. Mike, so. can, you add, can you add some like laugh tracks in this episode? <laughs> I Sorry, I, can, I, I, spent, I spent all my budget on the farting lemon tree, so we're going to have to stick with that. <laughs> is this is fucking Daryl's house? <laughs> like Daryl's house, we're telling Mike, but that we're to put in all the sound effects. Uh, but I, I, I mean, there's so much great stuff. Like you said, Eric, you said that everyone's chasing it around. No, it's only Eric and Shambo, which I think uh, Dave called them also Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Again, you attribute which one to what you want to. But I think my favorite part is uh, Shambo unintentionally channeling her best Boston Rob, where the chicken takes off into the tree, and again, Miss Chicken Whisperer, country girl herself mutters i didn't know they could freaking fly yeah and the the very underrated russell swan here says uh and i'm not calling shambo stupid but it's a bird for crying out loud <laughs> i would assume you being a country girl that something with wings could fly <laughs> so yeah so hilarity running going all over the place at galoo here and again that for people say this the season's only about russell just watch this episode this is all 100 percent galoo in this episode and yeah this is the best scene and then we get the uh Everybody's mad at Shambo. 
everybody's mad at Shambo because she lost a chicken. And then uh, Eric has a little temper tantrum. I think it called I called it his little poopy pants tantrum where he starts kicking and punching the air. And then <laughs> Shambo has a great quote where she's like, well, I may have lost a chicken, but, you know, I produced an egg. At least I produced an egg. And Eric's like, no, you didn't produce an egg. The chicken laid an egg. What did you do to produce the, produce the egg, Shambo? <laughs> Are we, are we sure that Shambo doesn't think she's a chicken at this point? <laughs> no, she will transmogrify into a chicken later. But yeah, at this point, she's still 80% human. She's more human than chicken. All right, so that is that is the key the, the key event here at Galoo, the great chicken escape. It has escaped. Shambo takes the, the heat for it. And uh, the other thing we're going to learn here is now we're going to start getting Yasmin getting a negative edit after her uh, being yelled at by Ben last episode. And now uh, we start getting this thing where everyone says she's lazy. You know, Yasmin doesn't do anything around camp. She's kind of hangs around and waits for the uh, waits for the challenge. So we're going to lose her at the end of this episode. But these kind of as a cursory throw it in here like ah, Yasmin's lazy, by the way. OK, let's go to the challenge. And this is the one where Foa Foa wins, right? Their first immunity win? And literally only win besides <laughs> that very first one that Mick accidentally picked the right people for. Yeah. And what's funny is, that, like I wrote in my notes, Galoo loses this. It's like a puzzle challenge, right? They have to build like a tower challenge. I mean, it's not really a puzzle. It's That was a nice squeaky the, voice. Stack the blocks, uh, which, <laughs> okay. again, a chicken could probably do in a tree. <laughs> But, I mean, it, I think it also helps that they, thank God Jason didn't quit, because I feel like between Russell and Mick, I don't think they have much height going on there. <laughs> That's a good, Mick isn't that tall. I guess I never noticed that. He, how, is he, like, dwarf tall, like Russell, or is he, like, just not tall? I don't know. I mean, I guess, I would say that Jason and Dave Ball are probably, like, the two, I mean, maybe Ben were, like, the, the three biggest guys. So, I feel like Mick's, like, a standard height, but... When it comes to like holding someone up on your shoulders or just reaching for the blocks, I feel like that's where Jason's able to get him ahead. Though I think Monica's the one who really, uh, who again we saw nothing of in the previous three episodes. We now start getting this narrative that Monica screws up challenges. Yeah, yeah. So Galoo loses this challenge, although it looks to me like they almost throw it because they sit everybody who's good out of the challenge, like Laura, their best puzzle maker, Dave, the one with the eight foot long arms, Russell Swan. They all sit out. So anyway. Yeah, Galoo loses this one. Monica screws it up. And so now we're going to get to Tribal Council. It's Galoo's first Tribal Council. And it's really going to come down to, is it going to be uh, Yasmin, who does nothing around camp? Or is it going to be Monica, who's just brutal in the challenges and weak at stuff? So, And that's really going to be the rest of the story for this episode. So, Paul, is this what you were saying before about these sort of like old school elements? Is that we're like not thinking about splitting votes on idols. It's more so about this, like, survivalism aspects of, hey, this is our first tribal council, so even though it's episode four, we need to determine, like, who's the weak link. Yeah, and I just, like, really love the dilemma of, like, you have someone in Yasmin, Yasmin who's, like, not fully integrated. That was almost an Eric-like pronunciation there, Paul. <laughs> I know, sorry. I'll just, oh, like, I'll just put the, <laughs> I'll put the, like, uh, uh, accent on the end of every single, uh, uh, person's name. No, but she, um, like, I like that it's, it's complex and that she doesn't necessarily get along with everyone, but she's good in the challenge. And then you have someone like Monica, who she has her friends, uh, but she didn't perform well in the challenge. I just feel like we, we eventually get to an era in Survivor where, like, the challenge performance just, like, is like 90% of the time irrelevant to the to the grand scheme of things because you have so much switching and and it's such a short term like how do you get to the next round where like I really like the narrative of the season that you really do have as small as it is in comparison to what we get from Russell like a Galoo story of the Galoo tribe and Galoo has to make decisions 
that's going to be best for Galoo in the end. So I just, I don't know, I kind of like that um, that dilemma that goes back to Survivor's origins. There actually is some good storytelling here in this episode that's important for the rest of the season because up to this point, Russell Swan has been the man of Galoo. He's the leader, and he even says, I want to keep Yasmin, like she's my she's my my girl, we're tight, and he wants everyone to get rid of Monica. And this is where the other three guys, the younger guys, basically form a little revolt and say, no, nah, we're going to rally around Monica. They all kind of like Monica, so they rally and vote out Yasmin. So this is kind of the the coup d'etat of, of anything where these three guys, Fincher, uh, Eric, and Dave Ball are going to take over Galoo. And from here on out, they're really going to kind of be the leaders, the ones calling the shots. And that's all. It's right here where Russell Swan doesn't get his way and his girl Yasmin gets voted out. Although there is a moment at tribal council I have to point out. Here we go. I wrote this down. They're talking about making a move. And Jeff Probst literally says this, please, for people who are listening, write this down. Episode 19, or, uh, season 19, episode what? four of Samoa. <laughs> Jeff Probst says, Remember, guys, you don't want to make big moves too soon or it can mess up your tribe. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for making note of that. (laughs) Yes. So there you go. Jeff admonishes them not to make big moves because it will mess up your dynamic. So just file that away for people who think Jeff Probes has not changed over the years. And it's strange that it's it's strange that he's strange. He's saying that to the mother of Sierra Easton, who knew that it wouldn't carry down the gene lines. No, that's deep, man. Okay, so we lose Yasmin, uh, minor character. Again, I don't really have anything to say. Anybody have any parting words for her before we move on to the next one? Uh, I think she was one of the. She took like the Janet Koth method in her final words and said that she would never do it again. So I think this is like a. She was a city girl who was clearly out of her element. She brought high heels, uh, Ashley Macero style, to the game, and I think she just wasn't cut out for it. So yeah, I think that she had her moment with Ben a couple of episodes ago, and. I mean, if, if we recall that when she went to, she was the first ever person to go to FOA FOA, and then she ended up sort of admonishing them for the performance and the challenge, and saying like, "Oh yeah, we went easy on you guys, but you'll you'll get us next time." <laughs> so I think that she was a, f- a fine character for the first four I, episodes. I think That's- she's, I think she's everything you want in a pre-merge boot. If you're gonna have someone go on episode four, make them memorable, make them have some funny moments. Let's laugh about it. And then let's move on. So uh, I, I think she was an excellent pre-merge boot. And I will say, Mario, I know you, you really talked up this stretch of episodes. The one downside I see, and maybe it's an, an upside because you get more interesting characters at the end, but this is where we get rid of our like mid to sub Ashby line characters. Like we, we're going to get rid of Yasmin. We're going to get rid of Ashley. This is where we get rid of Liz. Like we're going to get rid of Kelly Sharbo after we get rid of Eric. So we're going to start kind of separating the chaff from the rest of the rest of the wheat as we sort of winnow things down. Okay. But Yasmin's like, I mean, leaps and bounds above the Ashby line. <laughs> oh, here we go. Fight. This is where the Cowboys all back away. I now. mean, I'm not going to roll a bochi ball that fall <laughs> past the Ashby line. Bring it bochi boy. Let's go. <laughs> I do like that. Yasmin had to clarify that she would never play again because you know, there was that big movement for everyone to get her to come back and play again later in the all-star seasons. Yeah. Mario, there's a little thing. Little, there's a little thing called our stars too. I don't know why you guys are so mean to her. <laughs> she shut that shit right down. She's like, I will not play again. So again, you know, the producers, the fans, the online petition, all of the people that wanted her to come back and play again, she would just not have it. So I appreciate her for sticking by her principles. I now have this like, vision of like the survivor producers in a room and they're like all right we need to we need to get this wide blanket of people coming back for survivor second chances oh you know we could do yasmin from samoa oh wait oh 
She said, ah, she said yep. she never did. Yeah, let's not even waste the call. That binding, the binding contract. Yeah, as we know, final words are a verbal contract with CBS. <laughs> yes. All right, so there we go. So we, we lost her. We lost our first Galoo. So we go to the next episode, and this is going to be the uh, famous Ashley episode, which is great because I was reminded there was a character named Ashley on this season, which I did not remember. <laughs> you remember, she does a lot of cardio at home. And, and glamping. <laughs> Yes. I know I made that joke in part one, too, so I apologize for people who are listening to these and marathoning it that we're all repeating our same jokes. I, I, we, again, we have no idea what we talked about three months ago. That is a you know lot. What you know what we haven't talked about is uh, 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 Kelly from Gabon and her jeans and those denim jeans, remember? <laughs> How she could sell a $200 pair of jeans for that, you know, if they really need a $20 pair of jeans. <laughs> remember that? Uh, never forget the denim queen. Long may she reign. Wait, wasn't that, isn't that Kelly on the season two? She hasn't really talked yet, but didn't she like open up that coconut for, uh, Yasmin? Yeah, I have, I have an underlying narrative that Kelly and Yasmin are both hairstylists. And I feel like after watching the success of Aaron on Survivor Token Sheens, Kelly realized that a la Highlander, there can only be one hairstylist. And that's why she th- underwent the plot to, uh, throw Yasmin under the bus. <laughs> Well, it does remind me of what I was just talking about, the, the marathoning. This is People will appreciate this. We have a, we've developed a, an audience for the show over the years, slowly and slowly, to the point that we actually have a fairly big listenership now. And what's funny is that people will just discover historians, and they'll marathon all our episodes. We have, like, what, 50 episodes or something? And so they'll marathon five years' worth of our episodes, and they'll get to the end, and they're like, where's the next one? Where's your next episode? And they don't realize that sometimes we take three, four months between episodes and it just infuriates people. So I apologize to the people who marathon the show and don't realize the length of time it has taken to produce this many of episodes. So, uh, again, we all four of us apologize sincerely. And I know this isn't funny, so I'll do a, a fart sound here. <laughs> oh God, I, don't, I don't need to insert that in there. It needs to be more lemony. Can you like add a little bit of a lemon twist to it? I don't know. You're not in the room. It smells pretty lemony to me. Oh, God. Let's right, so move on from this. <laughs> <laughs> Lemons are one of the only things I can eat these days. Should we should we delve into that or should we just pass on and talk no, about pass on, again? pass right. on to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in this. Ashby line or not, but I've, I've, I know I've used this joke before where every once in a while, like, I learned that Ashley is a contestant on Survivor Samoa. And there's a lot of people in Survivor Samoa where you're like, Today I learned that Liz was a character on Survivor Samoa. Yeah, and make sure to say Yasmin again just to piss Paul off because it hurts him. I know, you guys are mean. Yasmin Shambeau. No, I think so, that Yasmin... I Mario. Think that Yasmin, Ashley. <laughs> I, I think that Yasmin, you know, with, with, the, with the going over to the other tribe and things like that, I think that there were... She had some for a pre-merge brute. She had some moments. She she's above the Ashby line, I think. Well, I'm excited for episode five because I feel like episode five has this weird. This is a weird thing to point out, but the sound mixing and the sounds they use on episode five is so interesting. We're going to talk later about like specifically the post immunity challenge, which is such an atypical scene in Survivor where they're not allowed to run around the camp and all you hear is the rain. But they open this with like the scene and the downbeats being punctuated by someone hammering. Uh, which I don't know if it was someone literally hammering or like a symbol of, of a new thing being forged. But I know, Paul, you said there are some old music cues going in here. But this episode, I feel like they were futzing around with some of the mixing. And it, it led to a really unorthodox episode of Survivor, even though, like we said, the, the boot will be uh, Ashley What's-Her-Face. 
<laughs> yes. That is her actual name for people who look it up. That's you would think we're making fun, but she is Ashley. What's her face? What's her chin name? Okay. So anyway, yeah, we uh, start this episode and it's all raining and everyone's miserable and I'm just going to skip through this, but uh, we get to uh, the scene, the, the, the reward challenge. The first thing in this episode is the, the uh, ocean smoothie bar. Always a fun one where they have to drink disgusting things out of the sea and Jeff will blend them up into a smoothie. Jay, how much how much can you eat of all these ingredients? Oh God! I mean, what, what's Whole Thirty approved? Um, well, you, you can't you can't even drink the milk that Jeff uses as a mixer. Yeah, the the milk is no good. The coconut milk, I think, is okay. Sea seawater's fine. Anything about octo octopus clam? Oh, ev everything protein's fine. So we're we're good there. What do you mean we're not funny anymore? <laughs> Let's this, talk this about Jay's like, digestive issues. <laughs> this one is weird with like, you know, because I enjoy a good Jeff Probst dick moment. But like, I don't know, his dickishness in this thing, it's just kind of like, you know, it, the whole point is to eat gross, gross smoothies, you know, and like they don't have the whole thing where like you spin the wheel and maybe you get like an apple or a, or a chocolate bar or something like that. It's like it's all gross all the time. Right. So like, you know, when they get like the Jeff's, you know, when they, when they get the thing where Jeff's just like putting crap in he's like i think i'll add a little bit more or i'll do a thing it's like dude you're making a gross smoothie just make it dude like seriously all right yeah so we'll just run through this challenge again they spin the wheel and they have to eat stuff and uh if i recall ashley kind of bails here she loses it for foa foa and it's although you should have the assist to dave ball for making barfing noises which always no, a time I think that, was, that was eric because i think Something else that's going to be established is that Eric is kind of a douche to the Foa Foas. Oh, yeah. Eric's taunting Ashley, and Dave Ball is making the puke noises. So, again, between the double onslaught from those two, she has no chance. She throws it up, and Galoo wins. Yeah. Surprisingly, Galoo wins again, and they yeah. win this huge barbecue. And uh, at the end of the challenge, Russell, the leader, he said, the probe says, well, you know, you won for Galoo. You won this barbecue. You must send one person over to the other tribe as to be a spy, and they will not, not participate in the delicious food that Jay Fisher cannot eat. And so uh, Russell says, well, I'm going to pick Shambo. And Shambo's like, me? excuse me? Excuse <laughs> me? Yeah, Russell's like, well, she had to pay for the chickens. <laughs> now they're even. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, so obviously we can understand. And Russell also does not say that to Shambo's face. He just says, like, we got to get more information, babe. Come on. Uh, I don't know why he sounds like Sammy Davis Jr. all of a sudden. but uh, <laughs> What but... is going on? <laughs> hey, babe, go over to full full, babe. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but um so but he that's then like, he, he turned <laughs> jay's gone crazy that's like the worst like impression of someone doing a sammy davis impression we could just make up any voice and say it's an impression now <laughs> i'm russell swan i'm going to send you over there shambo shambo <laughs> says what like seriously oh my god but I don't know if you noticed this, speaking of milk, but uh, Russell set himself up as the main antagonist to Rupert one season beforehand by saying that he hates milk and never drinks it. That's shots fired right there. Yeah, you know, shots fired on good old 2% cow's milk. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, is that milk from a cow? <laughs> Although Russell said it in a very thick German accent, if I recall. I didn't know they made such an animal. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, so he like tells her behind his back, like, oh, this is to get back for the chicken. But in theory, should Russell, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like if Russell wasn't going to send Shambo, should he have like sent himself 
over because I think one of the problems as well with this type of stuff is that like it's happened with Tracy in Survivor Micronesia, right? When you exclude someone with the reward, that's really sending a statement. Do you think that he is sort of that self-sacrificial and caring about the team that he would have in actuality, like if if Shambo was not in such contentious terms with the tribe, just sent himself over so his Galoo friends could enjoy the feast without him? No, because Shambo sucks. I mean, that's yeah, the I thought th- process, right? He'd be in his in his British accent, like, "Oh, cheerio, chap! I do believe I'll send Shambo over there." Yeah, I, I think that Mike, you know, when when it, if a tribe's gelling and everybody is on the same page. Or if everyone's on the same page enough, maybe there's like two distinct alliances and, and, you know, you don't want to like upset the apple cart or something like that. I think you have to start looking at yourself because you don't want to get everything going. But it's it's clear, especially after the chicken uh, uh, fiasco, that people are not super high on Shambo right now. Like maybe they use her in alliance or voting purposes and all that other stuff. But it's like clearly everyone's kind of pissed at Shambo. So it's a real easy get to just say, all right, Shambo, you're going. They do not have an appreciation for Shambo. Is that what you're saying? Uh, she does not have a following on Galoo right now. That's true. They're all on Foa Foa at the moment. They're all on Foa Foa. They're a little cult, yeah. Okay, yeah, so Shambo gets sent over to live with Foa Foa, <clears throat> and uh, they all gather around her. It's the raining episode, right? It's just raining all the time. And so they're all miserable, and they're all, they all give her a group hug. They all feel bad for Shambo. Her little following kind of embraces her. And, and we learn that Ashley's kind of on the outs at Foa Foa, and I think Natalie's her only friend. That Surprisingly, Natalie is the only person who has warm relations with everybody in the game. Funny how that may come into play later. But anyway, then we go back to Galoo, and they have their— and their... Mario, how dare you bring up such an irrelevant part of Survivor? Sorry, yeah, I meant Matt, Natalie made a big move here, and she uh, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> she, she made a big move and called Ashley like one of her sisters. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that strategy right there, she's planting a Natalie seed. <laughs> what, if, what if, like, they went back and re-edited this, like, you know, because people love to re-edit Samoa, just had, like, Natalie give confessionals just, like, Russell the whole time. So, I can't like, believe we, that's, we've... That's re-edited with her just, <laughs> just talking about the Natalie seed. I can't believe we've, we've like spent 30 minutes on Galoo. Like today I've learned that Galoo was a tribe on Survivor Samoa. Well, I, I like Paul's idea, but I like let's edit, re-edit Samoa, except for every Russell confessional, we'll just have a Natalie confessional with his voice dubbed over it. <laughs> I'm really My good word. at making connections. <laughs> My word, I love Jesus. <laughs> My word. <laughs> 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 all right so enough of that all right so yeah then we go to galoo and galoo's enjoying their barbecue and we get more again you see these little cracks and, and for people who forget there were indeed two tribes in this season and we see it here where galoo's kind of having an issue where russell and dave ball are, are kind of fighting over how to start a fire and dave ball is just kind of being in a dick openly a dick to russell swan and this is where we see they're starting to rise up against their leader. They're kind of taking over. And, uh, yeah, Dave Ball's clearly kind of rising in ascension to the guy calling the shots. And let's see. we uh, Anything else here? Dave says, you know, if I can start a fire, my place will be here for a while. If I'm the only person who knows that, I'll, I have my I can set my my uh, t- my place at the end of the game here. And uh, this is where this is where we have go back to Foa Foa. And Shambo is with the Foa Foas, her little following, and she shares with them her idol clue. So they all talk about, oh, look, there's an idol over here. And they're all searching for it. And I believe Russell has started a story. Even though we know Russell has the idol, Russell has started a story that Ben 
had the idol and Ben was voted out with it. And then there's the one person on the tribe, Liz, and Liz basically calls out Russell. She's like, well, I don't believe that. I think Russell has it. And and as we were going to, we will be told this very subtly throughout the season that if somebody stands up to Russell, they will be voted out. And this is where Russell goes on his little rant, like, I'm going to vote that little bitch out, Liz. She stood up to me. I'm going to vote her out. She got no chance no more. So this is where the Russell versus Liz thing really starts to come to a head. Yeah, I think he says, stop throwing stupid stuff around. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Remember, they used to have that that on T-shirts. That was one of the big Survivor slogans at the time. Oh, yeah. And I think that uh, this is where one of the many times that he is going to threaten someone directly to their face that they're going to go next if they don't obey him. Yeah, this will be a fan favorite, Russell, right there. He'll put them on the jury, even though the jury does not exist yet. I said, if you can't watch this scene, and if, if you watch this scene... And you cannot see, like, how Russell did not win this game. Like, just watch this scene on repeat and and just really think about it. Like, you are playing a game where you need to work with people and get rid of people and then ask for people to vote for you to win. And this is how you talk to someone you're playing the game with. Like, just watch the scene and all your questions will be answered. I'm going to slap you in the face. I'm amazing at this game. Yeah, Paul, stop throwing stupid stuff around. I'll throw around all the bochi balls I want. Yeah, that that was Russell's actually... They they cut that clip. It was from Russell's response to the episode four reward challenge that they put in here, those sloppy editors. <laughs> okay, so episode five immunity challenge. This is where we get the one where they have to hold up the ropes, right? You have two people holding the ropes and the other people are all tossing coconuts into the net and trying to make them drop the ropes. And uh, this is, a uh, again, a big a, a chance for Galoo just to... Not to mince words too much, to kick the ever-loving shit out of Foa Foa. Although there's some neat stuff in this scene. This, I think you were saying earlier, Mike, that the editors were playing around with the season and doing fun stuff with it. There's some neat stuff in the scene, some wipes they're doing, some like yeah. where someone's running past the camera and they'll use that person as a wipe to the next the next shot. And they just keep doing that over and over. There's some, again, just some really neat things going on in the scene. I, I just have that over and over in my notes. Like they, they really actually put some effort into this challenge. And again, it's not an especially interesting challenge because Galoo just destroys Foa Foa as usual. But yeah, it's kind of interesting how they actually made it uh, appear more exciting on TV. And I think the more overwhelming thing besides this is the basically there's a monsoon going on. You have this really crazy moment where, you know, uh, Tree Mail is at a well, basically, and you have Dave having to, like, make a bridge with planks because the water level is up to the level of the well in order to get Tree Mail. That is ridiculous. That's an ins- I mean, I know we... Survivor contestants constantly argue, you know, who had the worst season elements-wise, and I don't know how close this comes to, like, your Guatemalas and your Africas, but I know Philippines had a dang amount of rain, hence the the merged tribe name, but Samoa is probably pretty underrated for how much crappy weather they had to deal with. Yeah, no, absolutely. When you watch the season over and over, you just notice that, that like these three episodes in particular, it's just one nonstop rainstorm and it looks so miserable. And we just see, you know, like you said, Dave Ball having to create a little rat or a little bridge that they can actually get to their tree mail and Jason's hands just turning white just from how cold he is and the, they're all wrinkly. Yeah, it's just, it looks miserable. This is one of the more miserable seasons to watch. And yeah, it's, it really jumps out at you when you watch this stretch of episodes. 
Okay, so Galoo has won, and basically, yeah, they all the good players, all the good coconut tossers, especially uh, John Fincher, rocket scientist. He was, I think, he never misses a shot this entire challenge. And like Ashley is so pathetic on Foa Foa, she can't even like throw a coconut up to the net. She's just pathetic. And so, like, the one person who kind of stands out for Foa Foa in this challenge is Liz. She actually, you know, holds up the the, the net for a while and actually performs pretty admirably. So. When Foa Foa loses, it's going to come down to who do we lose? Like, we're just getting decimated in every challenge. And, of course, Russell, I'm going to vote Liz out because she challenged me. But all of a sudden, that kind of gets thrown up into the air. And because Ashley was so bad in the challenge and Liz was so good that they kind of have to change up. So, again, for people, again, they keep steering this in the narrative that whoever Russell is against will go home. Uh, that's not really what happens in this episode. All of a sudden, Ashley goes home. So, yeah, so much for that. Uh, so much for that narrative. Well, um, you know, Ashley's problem was is that her workouts were solely, you know, focused on cardio, and she didn't do any upper body straight, uh, body strength, or you know, hand-eye coordination, those types of things. So it, she really, if anything, she brought too much cardio to the table. <laughs> too much. They didn't. She didn't work. Do the coconut throwing machine at the gym. Yeah. Too much heart. Too much heart. But I, I, this scene is. I know the boot is rather innocuous, but again, I'll say this scene is so interesting. First, as I mentioned before, when they get back to camp. There's no music. All you hear is the soundtrack of rain, and it just shows the elements. But they do this really interesting thing edit-wise where it's, what, the there's six of them at this point, and they can't go anywhere because it, it's insane weather, and they're all just sitting in the shelter. And what you do is you sort of get, like, soliloquies, inner monologues from each and every person about how they're going to vote and why they're going to vote, which was so atypical. We get so many one-on-one conversations, you know, in the time between the immunity challenge and tribal council. It's very rarely seen that we just get these moments of introspection, quite literally. So, yeah, it's a a little bit of like a, a wimpy conclusion, but I really liked how they told this scene. Yeah, again, this is it's a forgettable episode that really means nothing in the overall picture, but it's just well-crafted, well-edited. Again, for something forgettable, it's one of those rare episodes that they, they kind of spun straw into gold and made it watchable. It really shouldn't be that watchable, but it's just you give credit to the editors. And again, people always crap on Samoa saying it's such a horribly edited season, but there is some neat stuff going on, just like Mike said. This episode in partic- particular, there's some obvious love they put into it. All right, we're about to move on to the Russell Swan Memorial episode. You guys ready for this one? Episode six. You know, there's always a good chance that an episode six will uh, result in uh, someone getting medically evacuated, especially in the show's first 19 seasons. So uh, get ready for it. <laughs> I should point out at the start of this episode, Jeff Probes, here we go with the previously on Survivors. This is this absolutely drives me insane when I watch the season, and that's why I keep mentioning it, so it will drive other people insane too. Where, where this is the opening to this episode, where Jeff Probe says, "Anytime somebody confronts Russell, they go home." Well, why didn't Liz go home last episode then, Jeff? Now he's just lying. Like, that's not even what happened last episode, and he's already giving pro, uh, Russell credit for it. In fact, they'll just say that through the whole previously on uh, segment here, where. Uh, where Jeff says, after the challenge, Russell put his vendetta against Liz on the back burner so he could take out Ashley. Like, he gets 100% of the of the credit for this decision, even though we, ne- we saw none of that last episode. This is where he's just flat out lying about what happened. And he even keeps going. He doubles down. He's like, Liz needs a miracle now to save himself from Russell's cruel intentions. I mean, again, 
this is the, when Probst just starts doing that as if that's the only story going on. That's what you start believing is the only story going on. When a little little critical thinking will tell you that's not what happened at all last episode. That had nothing to do with the reality. But here we are. And again, if you're wondering why Russell gets the reputation he has, this is why it's all or not all, but like 80 percent probes just lying to people here. Also, Russell is my favorite part of Cruel Intentions, so I can't knock that narration too much. He was he was very good in that. He was yeah my favorite part of the aristocracy. I remember. Well, that's well that's why they were talking about him on IMDb was because of his performance in Cruel Intentions. <laughs> yes, Russell was played by John Malkovich, if I recall. Yes, but you know, in this previously on Survivor, Jeff does get kind of like poetic here that um, you know the storm's hitting hard at Foa Foa, but at Galoo, their storm is Shambo. <laughs> yeah. yeah jeff's going for an emmy here at this season where he just is inserting himself and making up his little prose and saying his haikus or whatever at the start but yeah so this episode just is going to start everyone's miserable and you know uh, everybody on foa foa wants to quit it's just they're getting decimated and they have no heart and of course we're going to hear from russell of course how he now, we've already had Russell bagging on uh, Jason, calling him worthless. Now he's going to bag on Mick. You know, Mick's got no heart. He doesn't belong to be here. What kind of man is that? This is why we lose. Just a bunch of babies. And again, this is where where they're going to set this up, where Russell is, of course, the only good thing that's happening on Foa Fo, which clearly that's not what was happening in real life. But it's, again, we're only going to see it through his narrative, through his lens. And on the other side, we see... Uh, as if it's raining, everyone's kind of huddling inside the shelter, and there's one person out there doing all this work, doing the firework and gabbing, gathering all the wood and stuff, and it's Russell Swan. And we kind of get a prophetic uh, comment here. Who says this? Is uh, Kelly? Yeah, she says Russell. Russell's going to break down. He works too hard, and that's very prophetic for what's about to happen. Uh, how did you? How did us uh, pop cultural children feel about Jason's Captain Planet reference about his time in Samoa? I am not a child of the 90s, so I cannot comment on that. Feel free, youngsters, to talk about that one. (laughs) I understood it, so I was like, oh, I get it. So it was perfect. Captain Captain Planet was actually a thing that, like, I didn't pay attention to. Hmm. I know, it's lame. I am the perfect age for that reference, and I understand the reference, but I didn't watch Captain Planet. You were miss. I mean, there were some... Pretty, like, quality celebrities, surprisingly, that Ted Turner brought on to do Captain Planet. But I'll admit, gets a little rote. You know, it's going for the same basic message every time. They did venture sometimes into the realms of, like, drug abuse and uh, AIDS. I think they did an episode on AIDS, which I don't know what that has to do with Captain Planet. But, you know, sweeps. Uh, So, I mean... Did they bring in Russell Hance to talk about that one? Like, how he would have been really good with the Italian doctor in in, uh, Kenya? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Russell was the one who, uh, who he was, he was, the, I, he wasn't the villain. He became, he was temporarily served as Captain Planet for that one episode. Uh, I see. Um, but when we move over to Galoo here, that that opening scene with Russell Swan in the water, it reminds me so much of the opening of episode six of uh, the Australian Outback, or the opening to, with Kucha, and how there were all these kind of foreshadowing things with Mike in the fire, and you have. Russell's standing in the water, and they even kind of have him. It's almost like he's nodding off for a second. Like, he's, like, tired. His eyes are going, uh, are closing, and there's, you know, really no sound except for the music that's going on there and stuff. So uh, a lot of foreshadowing leading up to uh, what's eventually going to happen at the challenge. Yeah, this is... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, this is an especially powerful episode, and I know as historians we're going to try to put this one into its context. This is... 
again, Samoa was a popular season because of Russell Hans, not so much Swan, but this is one of those episodes when it aired. It's not to the level of Mike Scoop and Falling in the Fire, which was like the most riveting thing on Survivor I've ever seen. But this is, among the modern era, the equivalent to that. This was an episode that people were talking about the next day. It was uh, very scary when it happened. And I think Probst has said, has said this is the closest I think anybody ever came to dying on the show, at least at, up to that point. So yeah, this is there's a there, this is a very hard-hitting episode we're about to hit here. Yeah, this is an extremely serious episode. Not any amount of levity, because... We're essentially watching 20 minutes of suffering, then a challenge where someone, as you said, until Caleb Reynolds, like, holds the record for the near de nearest death experience in Survivor history. Then we go to Tribal Council, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but Tribal Council just feels like a support group. Mm -hmm. Like, they're all just sort of sitting around talking through these horrible experiences they're having and how they're going to get through it together. I mean... Maybe this is, again, speaking towards those old-school elements, Paul, but it's almost, except for, like, the, the tiny portion where they're focusing on, oh, crap, we might have to go to, to tribal council. Let's figure out who we're voting out. It's just focused on this element of surviving and, like, the human condition up against these unendurable elements. And it's very unorthodox. I just feel like through these past few episodes, there are just so many interesting elements that I didn't notice about the season before that definitely piqued my interest in it a bit. Yeah, when I watch this season again, and again, the, the reputation that, that Samoa has is just it's all about Russell Hans. But this is one of those episodes I feel really stands out, and you remember this one. This one, there's a lot of heart to it. There's a lot of depth to it. Although I should point out that right before we go to the challenge, and we're about to walk into it here where uh, Russell is basically going to come within minutes of dying, that uh, we have a scene with Eric in a tree, and all of a sudden the rain stops at Galoo, and Eric comes out. It's like a miracle. The rain we've had for three straight episodes has stopped, and Eric emerges. And I should point out he sees his shadow, which is good, because it, that means it's time for the sp spring and the rest of the season can go. So here we go, the end of Eric, Eric the Tree Sprite, hopefully. It means, it means six more weeks of Russell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, well, I also like, because Eric, Eric claims, I think Eric has now become like a born-again, I don't know, pagan. Because he said he prayed to the Samoan gods when he was in his tree for 26 hours straight, and they were the ones that provided the rainbow. So Eric's going to go a little cuckoo over these next few episodes before he eventually goes. That might be a reason why. Yeah, although I should point out he pronounces it rainbow. <laughs> that was good. That rainbow, was really good. Rainbow chi ball. Yeah, see, does that make up for bochi? It's pretty funny. I just I implore our listeners. Was that funny enough? Are we are we dancing to your tune now? You are you not entertained? Yes. Okay, so here we go. At, to to build on that joke, let's go to a guy dying. All right, so we go to the challenge. This is the episode six reward challenge. It's the uh, they have to roll this wicker ball around, and then at the end they have to do a little table maze. We've seen all these elements before on Survivor, but again, these players are just so decimated by the rain and the elements, and just they haven't been drinking water. They're just completely floored. And what's going to happen here is uh, what's happened. The, we get a reward this challenge. They get pizza, and then Probes kind of drops the bombshell. Both tribes will be going to tribal council tonight. And this is where we get Eliza saying no, right? I know Paul would appreciate that reference. <laughs> well, Thank you. They, they love they love cutting scenes from previous episodes and scenes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Mario, were you happy that your uh, much maligned double tribal council twist was avoided this season because of Russell Swan nearly dying? 
Yeah, I again, I, yeah, I hate double tribal councils. I think they're stupid. You should always have a chance to save yourself from going to tribal council. So if it took Russell Swan almost dying to uh, alleviate that and get around it, I am more than happy to make that sacrifice. So thank you, Russell Swan, for doing that for us. All right, so the challenge starts, and everyone's rolling around, and, and they're rolling the ball, and the, who's in the middle? Like Laura, if I recall, is inside the Galoo ball. And they're just running and pushing this ball around. And you can see that Russell Swan is having a hard time. He's just kind of lagging. And he's like, his eyes aren't quite rolling in the back of his head, but you can just kind of see he's kind of looking up and he's not 100% with it. And you can see it all through this challenge if you watch it. They don't really focus on it. But if you know what happens, go back and watch it again. You can see. And then they get to the end and they start doing the little table maze. And Galoo, if I recall, is way ahead. They're going to win this. No, Foa, Foa is ahead, right? Who's ahead? I kind of forget. Yeah. Foa Foa's ahead, and that's because Russell sort of dragged him down, and that becomes the whole point of contention at that shared tribal council is because, lo and behold, Eric opens his mouth and says, like, Foa Foa actually says, like, look, we're down in our luck. We're going to count this as, like, a moral victory. And Eric's like, oh, you shouldn't do that because we probably would have smoked you anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, we'll get to that at tribal council. But, yeah, for now, they're doing the table maze where four people are on uh, different corners of the table maze. And this is kind of the element I'd forgotten that everybody's blindfolded. So nobody can see what's going on for the most part, just the, the callers. And then we get this again, people, I did, I don't really have to say this. I'm sure anybody who knows survivor history knows this scene where Russell Swan just basically goes out on his feet. And it's one of the scarier things you're ever going to see where he just kind of falls down on his knees and he literally catches his chin on the, the corner of the table maze and his head just snaps back. He falls forward, his head snaps back and it almost, I mean, it almost kind of rips his head off. And I hate to say that in a joking way because it's not joking at all. It's like, it looks very violent. Like he must, he must have concussed himself as well. Yeah, he goes down and he crumples to the ground and he's out. I mean, he is knocked out. He is out on his feet and it takes a second for people to realize what's happening. They're all yelling at Russell to do his, to move his, uh, his table. And, and, and he's not, he's down, he's down on his feet. He looks like he's dead. I mean, to be honest. And so Jeff has to stop the challenge and everyone stands there. He's like, freeze, everybody stop. And this is the thing that always jumps out at me when I watch this challenge. He doesn't tell everyone to take off their blindfolds right away. So they have no idea why they've stopped. They're just standing there like, what's up? And like the Met Jeff's like, medics, medics. And everybody comes running in and the players don't know what's going on. And so here come all the Australian doctors and I'm sure Jay will do his poop joke. But uh, yeah, Russell Swan is- I'm not do it this time. Okay. I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> Can you it, poop, it babe? Like, out of anything, it, this, is, this, is, this is a hard scene to watch, dude. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll leave it there that all the doctors come out and for the next five minutes, it's, it's really- I don't know how if it's really a life, a race against life and death to get his pulse back and get him uh, aware again of what's going on. But Russell, I think he they cut to him his eyes. You can just see his eyes aren't there. He starts drifting out yeah. and he's gone. And it's really a creepy scene to watch. And it's yeah, it's I don't want to joke about this one too much because it's among the scarier things I've ever seen on Survivor. That's the thing that that like haunts me is just because we've talked about this before when uh, when Bobby John in, in the first episode of Survivor Guatemala, when he's talking with Margaret and you just see his like eyes fade out of consciousness. Like it's almost a different level with Russell where I don't know. I, I don't know if you can like tell those types of like metaphysical things that are going on, uh, you know, underneath the human skin. But it almost looks like his soul is like leaving his body at that point in time or like his eyes are really going dead. And it is so frightening to watch and i'm sure it was 10 times as frightening for the people out there at the time not just the people that were playing with him but like probst as well i mean probst is he you know as much as we like throw shade at jeff probst he gets in there like he is right by russell's side calls medical in like 
is there to give him a pep talk about like how good of a job he did before they cart him out? And I mean, even the aftermath as well, where like Russell just has, I know we keep joking about too much heart, but his tearful, like almost emotionally overwhelmed reaction to being forced out of the game or he will literally die in that moment is, I mean, again, this episode just really focuses on the fact that, yeah, there's a lot of strategy going on. There's a lot of other shenanigans that happen in the game, but at the end of the day, Survivor is about survival. And this is sort of a sign of what happens when, you know, the elements don't necessarily comply with how the human body usually functions. Yeah, and what a lot of people don't probably don't remember about this scene is it goes on over a couple of different uh, segments. It, it's not just one scene where they clear everyone out. Jeff says, "Okay, uh, everybody, everybody out. No one wins. We're not gonna. We'll just stop the challenge right now. Everybody go home." So they all go back, and then we we see them back at camp worrying about Russell. And now we cut back to the doctors with Russell. And this is the part that I kind of forgot that there's a whole second segment where. Russell tries to stand up and he collapses again. You can just see his eyes go out and they even say his blood pressure goes from 97 to like 60, 68 or something like that. And I will just, I will share some knowledge that my, my dad had real bad issues with stuff like this. I don't know exactly what happened with Russell other than it's just probably very, very severe malnutrition, dehydration and stuff. But my dad had issues with blood clots his last four or five years of his life where his blood pressure would do that same thing. He'd have a clot and he would stand up and his eyes would just go out and he just crumpled to the ground. And it was just one of these things, the, the, the sheer act of going from sitting to standing or laying to standing. If you're in that dire a situation, like it'll just knock you out and you cannot move. And so that's what, what's going on with Russell. His blood pressure is dropping so precipitously that they don't want him to move. They say, you walk back to camp, you may die. And again, my dad eventually passed away from this, and Russell was kind of in a crisis situation like that as well. So I've seen this, and it's a scary thing, and there's not much you can do. So did, did any of you read what, what exactly happened to Russell? I know, I mean, he came back and played again, so it wasn't like life-threatening beyond that. But what, what, what exactly was the diagnosis here? I mean, I remember I knew at one time, and honestly, it's escaping right now exactly what the um, what it was. I feel like it was just like extreme, like dehyd, like exhaustion, dehydration, just to its like max. It just had a lot of other, um, you know, effects, you know, from that severe dehydration overexertion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I don't think it's like uh, you know Austin getting a staph infection or like Dan Liu getting malaria. I don't think it was anything like any sort of virus or anything. I think it. I think dehydration was uh, the especially the big one. Ironic because he worked tirelessly out in the rain, but. From what I recall hearing, like, he wasn't drinking a lot of water, like, he wasn't resting himself, and so I think that was ultimately the problem. Yeah, and you can just see it in his eyes when they tell him they're going to yank him from the game. He's so upset, like, I, this, you know, my family needs me, they depend on me, I came out here to get money, and I need to do this, like, you can't pull me, this is, this is, would ruin my life, you cannot pull me from this game, and they do, and it's just, it's, it's horrible, but at the same time, you know, I mean, if you know your Survivor history, you know Russell will come back later in Survivor Philippines and play again. So it does, it is heartening to know he did get a chance to come back again. Now, maybe it may not have worked out so well for and him then. it's going to turn out great. <laughs> Total redemption. This is, uh, if we're talking about, like, some of the the horrible things that can psychologically affect people out on the island afterwards, I mean... Russell Swan's psychological torments, I think, will come more so after Survivor Philippines. But you can also imagine that in the intervening years since, uh, having a near-death experience is probably something that is extremely harrowing and probably had a good effect on the way he approached things and the way that he sort of approached his life thereafter. 
Yeah. No, it's yeah. I can't say enough about the scene. It's just a great scene. And again, anybody who thinks that Samoa is just about the Russell Hand story and Natalie White story, uh, think again. Watch this episode. This is a really powerful episode. Very sad. And then we're going to get some cursory stuff in the second half of this episode where everyone's arguing over who's going to vote out, who they're going to vote out tonight. And I think. Uh, uh, we hear that it's going to be Liz or Natalie on FOA FOA. And if Galoo has to vote somebody out, it's all about Monica. And there's all these, what's going on here? I think they're, they're rallying around Monica because she's in tight with Laura and they're not sure if they should break them up, all sorts of stuff. Again, none of this will uh, become important in this episode. The only thing is that is important is that everybody will get sent to tribal council. And uh, even more importantly, nobody got any food. Nobody will be eating this episode. So it's the old uh, Karen Carpenter standoff. And uh, I hope someone liked that one. But uh, so then we go to tribal council and everybody's there. And this is where Jeff explains that, uh, you know, this that was the scariest thing I've ever seen on Survivor. Russell will not be coming back to the game. And everyone's here and he's like, they just talk about it and they explain what happened to Russell. And uh, and this is where we get to the point that I forget if it was Jay or Mike said they're arguing over who was who would have won that challenge. And Foa Foa was ahead, and Eric's like, now nah, we would have come back and beat you, and they're still bickering and stuff. And Jeff basically says, okay, no one's going home tonight. This is unprecedented. I just think you guys should go back and just process what happened today. And so everyone gets a break, and that's really how it ends. And it's, again, just a the Russell Swan episode. That's all you can say about it. That's that's the main point of this episode. Now, I'm sure we'll talk about this with the merge episode, but I, it's interesting that like when these people sit down, Jeff says, like, wow, this is a first 13 people at tribal council and we'll, you know, flash forward like 12 seasons when we start having 13 person merges, that becomes much more of a commonality than Jeff would think back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the fact that they're going, they're going to do a 12 this season, they're probably like, Oh, well, 13 fit in here. Okay. 12 will fit comfortably. Let's do it. Let's merge this bitch. <laughs> okay. And, and the other thing that happened to this episode is that we started to get the rivalry kind of gets uh, rearing up here at the end of the episode where, you know, Russell Hans is like, you know, our comeback starts right now, Jeff. This is where it's four against seven. I think that is now four against eight. I forget, but he's like, or four against nine. It's four against nine now. What is it? Whatever it is. It's four it's against a lot. Fi five against eight. <laughs> five against eight. And Russell Hans is like, this is where the comeback starts right now. Never give up hope. And, and Eric is, Eric will not have any of that. Eric hates Russell. Eric's like, no, we're going to come at you with all of Russell uh, Swan's spirit and his heart. And we're just going to double down and we're going to bitch slap you guys right now. So don't even bother coming back because we're going to take it to you. So it starts going back and forth. And again, it's just a really solid episode that ends here. And then with the uh, little asterisk that's going to lead into the next episode where Probe says, oh, by the way, Galoo, you uh, also have to pick a new leader. And that will lead us right into the next episode. Well, do you remember what they cut out of this episode that came out afterwards? Why don't you enlighten us, Paul? I don't know. Well, I see uh, this did not necessarily go with the theme of now it's on. We're going to, you know, it's reignited battle between the two tribes. But they actually all got pizza. Aww. Oh, well, that ruins my Karen Carpenter <laughs> joke. And they all had a pizza at Tribal Council. It's kind of like, a, okay, well, Russell's gone, almost died. Here, have this pizza. <laughs> And you know that it's like it's been raining, so you know it's probably like Token Sheens esque waterlogged, like moldy pizza at that point. No, it, it's pizza just soup. that it's it's probably even just that typical Survivor pizza where like it probably tastes really good to them because they haven't had any food, but like it always looks so nasty. Well, you know what it is. Jeff is gonna once again get in the kitchen after he's inspired by that smoothie challenge. He's like, "Here's the pizza, but I put octopus on it and mother of pearl and some noni juice." Well, you know, guys, Survivor is like pizza. 
sometimes it hangs around too long and it doesn't look that good anymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but that's what happened. Yeah, so, okay, I did not know that they got the pizza with the nani juice and the octopus, but that's an excellent little trivia tidbit. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Sorry it wasn't funny. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Episode seven, the Liz episode, as Jay would say. Today we learned that Liz was a character on Survivor Samoa. Okay. So uh, learning here, here so we go. much. I know. Here we go with the previously on segment. I, I have to point this out again. I cannot let this rest every time where Jeff probes in the narration says, the rain has beaten everyone down, but it just makes Russell Hans stronger. <laughs> Why did these all feel like movie taglines for, like, Steven Seagal C-list films? <laughs> In a world where it rains, Russell Hans is the idol maker. Yeah. Steven Seagal is the rain bringer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that's literally what we're doing in these previous eons, where Jeff has just has his own little narrative he's going to make up that has nothing to do with the episodes we've just seen. Like, you know, you think the previous eons should celebrate Russell Swan's legacy, but no, it's all about how the rain has made Russell Hans stronger. Well, I think that the movie telling that I really noticed was actually for episode six, when Jeff says, Russell had no friends, only targets, which like... <laughs> Again, maybe another reason why people were on the IMDb page was because Jeff was promoting Russell like he was some big movie character. <laughs> In between episodes six and seven, Russell Hans fell into a vat of toxic waste and emerged with superpowers. I don't know. And it's funny when you say, like, you know, Russell Hans had no friends, only targets. And it's like, well, maybe that's why he doesn't win a million dollars. Russell Hans had no friends, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> Russell, Fr Russell Hans had no friends. And that's why he didn't win Survivor. Like, literally, there you go. <laughs> Russell has no jury votes, only targets. All right, so here we go. So here is the great scene where we go to Galoo to start episode seven, and they have to elect a leader. And, you know, they've lost their beloved Russell Swan, who uh, admittedly they had already basically overthrown. But in spirit, he was their leader. But now we have to elect someone new. And this is where this is where this is Eric's plan, I believe. Where we should we should elect Shambeau because she doesn't fit in with the girls, and then if we like nominate her for leader, she'd be in good with us. So then when Galoo makes the merge and we're clearly in, going to be in the majority, then she'll side with us over the the girls, and it's a good way for us to get her in with us. So basically, this is the is it the first the first puppet regime in Survivor, if not the first, the greatest puppet regime in Survivor. Yeah, or he is... or he misheard because they needed to vote in a new leader. <laughs> Uh, I think that, I mean, this is so fun in so many ways because, again, we're finding out more about Galoo. I guess we did not realize how gender divided Galoo is. The guys are now obsessed with this idea that now it's 4-4 and they're afraid that it's going to be forcing some sort of tie. So they need to bring Shambo over. And the only way to sort of curry favor to Shambo is to put her in power. And so uh, they concoct this plan to sort of rush along an election by having everyone hold up fingers. Yeah, it's the world's quickest election where in a matter of about 15 seconds, Chambeau is uh, elected leader of the Galoos and the girls have no idea what just happened. Chambeau has really no idea what just happened. And all of a sudden she's elected leader. It's the puppet regime. She has put on a pedestal and she's like, all right, thanks, guys. And we get a great confessional where Dave Ball is a little worried about this plan where he says, you know, 
Shambo's a good pick, but she's so dim she could accidentally screw up our plans, which is going to be really the subplot for the next couple episodes. Is Shambo going to do something so stupid to mess everything up for their their easy victory now? I also like Shambo's. One of my first acts is one of motivation and kindness. Like Shambo, okay, it's not that serious. Uh, this is like the equivalent of getting like high school class president. Okay, you're not a senator. <laughs> yes, I will put an end to all testing, all recess, all day. I will put coke in the drinking fountains, <laughs> and yes. chickens will roam free. I will speak <laughs> with them. This will be a free-range chicken paradise. <laughs> So here we go to the episode seven reward challenge. This is right at the start of this challenge. Low key, one of my favorite comedy moments in this era of Survivor right here where, where Shambo gets her first ch- chance to be the leader of the tribe. And I guess this is episode seven. It's a, a reward challenge. It's a, uh, a memory game like in Vanuatu. We have to go out there and, and uncover items and try to match them. The uh, nice grapefruits uh, challenge from uh, Vanuatu. Nice callback there. But uh, it, so at the start, Oh, what is it? The reward for this one is a sailing trip. They go out, get to go out on a pirate ship, and they get a little lunch out there, and you get to send a spy to the other tribe. So it's a cool but challenge for a what? There is this interesting wrinkle, which I actually really like, and maybe it's because the producers are in the lieu of the pizza party, like, throwing them a bone here, where there are a lot of survival items underneath the, uh, the cloches, and if they match, they can oh, yeah. either keep the point or they can keep the item, which I think I – think I will always like when Survivor sort of throws in those decision nodes randomly into its challenges or its tasks whatsoever. But I thought this was a I this was a fun way to sort of do a different take on the memory challenge. Yeah, I agree. That is kind of cool. That's it's probably one of those. Well, Galoo's going to win, so let's make sure Foa Foa gets some survival skills so they won't die. Okay, so here's the comedy moment I was talking about, and I hope I can sell this one correctly. Where. Shambo, as the new leader, is told she's supposed to pick a caller. Shambo, you will choose the caller for this challenge. And Shambo says, Eric. And right to her right is Dave Ball, who immediately overrules her decision and says, No, Brett, Brett, Brett. And she's like, I stand corrected. My decision is Brett. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect encapsulation of the puppet regime that is Galoo. I forget if I made that a funny 115 entry. I think it's in Dave Ball's entry. I put it in Dave's character entry. But it's just one of those scenes. You will will put a smile on your face every time because it's so obvious that Shambo is not the leader. And they're just pretending that she is so she has some power. But, yeah, Dave completely overrules her on the the caller decision. So, anyway, we go out there. And, of course, Galoo wins again. They win this one easy, like 7-4. to And they get to keep a fire-making kit. And this is where – we, the, the, the feud between Shambo and Laura is about to start here, where after they win the challenge, Galoo win, they get to go out on their little pirate ship reward, and Shambo gets to pick a spy who's going to go spy on the Foa Foas and won't get to participate in the reward. And because she's Shambo, she immediately chooses her arch enemy, Laura, and says, Laura will not participate in the reward. Laura will go over and hang out with the Foa Foas all day. And uh, this will not go over well. The younger girls do not like Shambo's decision. Laura doesn't like it. And it will spiral into a, a death spiral of hatred and, uh, and feudery over the next couple episodes. But for now, all you have to know is Galoo is going on a pirate ship adventure and Laura will not be invited. I think Once... uh, is it Kelly who says that compares Shambo like this is Shambo's acting like she was raised in a trailer park and now she married up and she's driving around in a Jaguar treating everyone like crap. <laughs> That's, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, that's probably pretty apt. I actually know, again, growing up near where Shambo lives, I know where she's from. That That is probably a very apt comparison. 
Um, I was going to say CBS was probably really happy they could use up all that money they invested in Pirate Master, and because um, it pretty much even those even the people on this ship are dressed up like they're you know from the 1700s or something, and with uh, Captain uh, Henry Morgan and uh, what's the what's the thing that little um, little mouth as, as uh, she knows the two explorers from uh, Pearl Islands. I'm just trying to think. Henry Morgan and uh, Sir Francis Drake or whatever she does. Anyway, I'm trying to think of jokes that were funny from old shows when we used to be funny. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, I just really wish we could have seen Russell on that ship because, as we all know, he was supposed to be on Pirate Master originally. So uh, bummer to see that there. But kind of a ridiculous uh, sailing uh, reward they go on. Are you kidding me? Russell would have sunk the boat because he would have torn apart the hull looking for an idle clue. <laughs> I stole shoes for the Drake. <laughs> Here we go. So we go to Foa Foa and Laura is over there. And this is where Russell, of course, starts bonding with Laura because Russell basically will attach to anybody now who shows up because he needs an ally. And he starts bonding with Laura with a Christian thing. You know, I can spot a good Christian from a mile away and I'm a good Christian. I love Jesus and the cross and stuff. And so <laughs> they do all that. And then that was paraphrased. But yes. yeah, paraphrased. I mean, it's, it's pretty much I mean, he is so lecherous during this, especially when he says like, I work lower like a fine tool. Like, oh, this just sounds so grody. I like when Laura says that. Like, awkwardly says, brother from another mother. Uh Well, this is what we we find out about Laura, how she, uh, you know, she has a Harley and, like, she's like, we just drive it around to the Starbucks and she's a theology student, like, Laura has such a weird life because this is where we found out, like, several, uh, you know, episodes ago that she's a grandmother, like, Laura is just an enigma of a person. I know uh, Eric's going to call Jason an enigma next episode, but the true enigma seems to be Laura Moret. Yeah, she. It's, it's hard to classify here because, yeah, through her age, she should be like one type of character on Survivor, but she's not. She's a lot much wilder. She has a weird background. She's got the theology background. And yeah, the whole thing with Russell trying to sweet talk her, and she clearly isn't buying it, but he's, he's trying her best. And he even says, you know, the final three, it's going to be me, you, and Natalie. He's like, you know, we can go to church together. We can go to communion. We can eat the bones of Christ. It'll be awesome. And it just—it's one of those things. Yeah, it's just—it's—it's it's a painful scene to watch, and Laura doesn't buy I, I it. I think you eat the flesh, not the bones. But uh, <laughs> I, good I, can't, I can't step too far into a church. I start burning. We're gonna drink the wine and drink the blood. Yeah, I, I know enough <laughs> of my theology, but I—I I, I see. It's—I am—I'm assuming Russell wouldn't know that, Paul. So that would be the joke. Right, okay, so, that's... so you were okay. I forget. So Russell says he says he has twin daughters, and his dad is a preacher. Are those statements true? I don't remember which statements Russell made up and which are true and which he said are true but are actually made up. I have not researched that far into Russell's family tree. So maybe Paul, Paul is our resident stalker here. What have you found out about (laughs) Russell and maybe his home address or anything? I mean, I think he did have two twin girls going into the show, like really young. Like I'm pretty sure that was known going into the season. As far as his father's occupation, I have no idea. (laughs) Russell has no friends, only twin daughters. (laughs) <laughs> Could you imagine if Russell like went up to each and every person and said like their occupation was his father's occupation? <laughs> that would be cool. That, if I could do that impression, I would do that right now, but my voice is going out. <clears throat> oh no, your All voice right. is pass- fa- passing out like Russell Swan. It's terrible. I you know my, I'm about to collapse here. My blood pressure's down to like sixty. 
All right. So anyway, we go to the reward. This is a another fun Galusian. Again, I just keep saying that over and over. There's just fun Galusians left and right in this middle stretch of the season where this is the pirate ship where Dave Ball will really come into his own as a as a hard drinking, wenching pirate captain where he's got that great scene where he starts imitating a pirate. And like nobody laughs at his joke, so he just laughs at his own joke, which is my favorite little that's I would say that's something that I do on historians quite a bit. But that would be the Dave Ball signature scene here where he says, uh, here we are, we're pirates, a little little more wenching, more grogging, a little more wenching. <laughs> it is like a little Popeye. <laughs> and it's the uh Dave Ball scene, and then uh what else is going on here? Eric is talking about, I, I can't believe I'm this lucky, like we're in the, on this boat in the middle of nowhere. It's just awesome, we're winning and and this is where I wrote in my notes here. Eric is starting to get kind of a winner's edit. And it's it's something I think people forgot that at this point in the show, there's not really anybody but Russell getting any sort of a winner's edit. But Eric is they're going to start hitting this really hard up until his boot episode, which, again, is the next episode. But they're going to start pounding it really hard about here that Eric is kind of the one calling the shots and that Eric is all, you know, uh, thankful that they're getting these rewards. And it's just a wonderful time in his life that all these good things are happening to them. So that's one thing I think people might forget about this stretch that Eric is really starting to, sh to shine as like a major character. And the other important thing from this scene, what do they have to eat? Beef stew and root beer? Beef stew! <laughs> Where's the root beer? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a, they don't go full Palau. They go half Palau. They get the beef stew, they get the bread, and they get the scones, which is a nice... As we all know, the pirates used to have the delicate British scone <laughs> as their, their uh, snack on the open seas. Well, the scone is named after Sir Henry Scone. Uh, I believe it's pronounced scone. <laughs> Scoon. It's a scoon. <laughs> or as Eric would say, a scone. Okay, yeah, so we get back to Foa Foa, and this is Laura just bonding with the girls. And we see lots of footage, I think, of Natalie, if I recall here. Natalie just bonding with Laura. Natalie and Laura just to kind of peas in the pod because unlike Laura, uh, Russell, Natalie actually is from a religious you know, theological background. So she and Laura start bonding here and they really start hitting this hard where they're like, uh, they're real tight. And I think this is where Liz gets annoyed that, that Russ, that, uh, Natalie and, and Laura are just talking about Bible stuff. She calls it the book of the month club, if I recall. Right. Spirit, and then the spiritual edit, books of the month. <laughs> right. And then in the edited version, Natalie, you know, takes on more of a, of a Russell take on this. And she's like, I'm going to make a dumbass prayer warrior alliance. <laughs> My dumbass <laughs> apostles. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbass Apostle Alliance. Laura's my first member. <laughs> I'm gonna get Laura on the hook for four books at two ninety nine plus shipping and handling. <laughs> she's gonna join the Book of the Month Club, and she's gonna be locked in for six months into that bitch. <laughs> my word. Yeah, I mean that was uh, I mean that was before Mortgagegate came Biblegate, where Natalie guaranteed the jury votes from all the galoos because she offered to sell them books at an, a reasonable price. <laughs> God, this scene is like so like yeah okay Liz it was like I feel like Liz's reaction would be a human reaction to things she's trying to do something and people are just like chatting behind her and so she like goes to Russell to vent about this and Russell gets so bent out of shape about this like oh sorry that Liz complained about someone since you've never said a bad word about anyone in your life Russell and that's where he has this quote where he says about how Liz is so dumb he doesn't know how she can even how she can walk yeah why does he like, what is what? He what does he have about infantilizing everyone else on Foa Foa? And maybe that's because, hey, dude, remember when you poured out all their water and burned all their socks? No wonder they're crawling around like children. 
She's so dumb, her parasympathetic nervous system doesn't cancel out her sympathetic nervous system. I don't even know how she breathes. D- damn Fontanelle babies. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay, so yeah, Jay's just sitting back. Jay's trying to avoid the carnage here at this point. I hope you people think this is funny. All right, so here we go. Episode seven, uh, immunity challenge. This is the one where they have to do a fish puzzle. And this is where there's a great, again, I don't know why I keep focusing on Dave Ball. You hardly remember he's in the season season at all. But every scene I have, I like circle a little Dave Ball moment where it's like uh, they're doing this little puzzle where they have to make a little fish, all these fish, and spell them out or make a little design out of them. And Shambo's cheerleading. She's like being real loud. And, and Dave basically pulls a uh, Mr. Lumberg from Office Space. He's like, Shambo, can you be quiet? That'd be great. <laughs> and then she doesn't listen. <laughs> Of course. So anyway, spoiler, Galoo wins again, since Galoo has never lost anything hardly ever. And uh, there's a funny shot at the end of this challenge where, you know, Galoo is is way ahead of the puzzle and they're just solving it. And and there's this shot where Foa Foa makes a last minute run and they start, you know, getting close. And Probst is like, Foa Foa, trying to make a last minute comeback. And if you watch when he says that, you see Eric kind of right behind Foa Foa, kind of waving his arms like, nah, forget it, (laughs) which is kind of funny. So anyway, Galoo wins again. And and this is where uh, Mick has come into this challenge saying, well, we didn't bring the leader necklace. We thought maybe it was bad luck. And they lose again, and Probes is kind of a dick. He's like, well, Mick, guess it wasn't the necklace. All right, so Galoo has won again, and Foa Foa is going to Tribal Council. And at this point, anytime we go to Foa Foa, the only confessional you will get is Russell. Like, this is literally the only person whose opinion we will ever hear or see on anything related to that tribe. And so first we get the little thing where he says, you know, these idiots might cost me a million dollars. And he's like, you know, Liz is going home tonight unless Jason won't, Jason wants to quit. And uh, again, it's just all you ever see is Russell. We see nobody else's thought process. They don't even bother going to our winner, Natalie. We have no concept what anybody else is thinking. We just hear it's going to be Liz or Natalie or uh, Jason. And of course, it will all come down to Russell because you know, God forbid anybody else gets to have an opinion on anything around here. Uh, and, I like uh, I like uh, I like Russell's saying about Jason. He sure as hell not going to be my attorney. Which, uh, considering what happens afterwards, he might uh, <laughs> he might have wished you hadn't said that a little. Since again, these these confessionals are indeed verbal contracts, as we've established before. All right, so we go to tribal council, and it all comes down to Liz. They eventually they they don't want to vote out Jason because he's too big and strong, and they need him. They vote out Liz; she's the weakest link. And so, goodbye, Liz. We hardly knew you, and of course, you know, Pro, uh, Russell's going to get a hundred percent of credit for this in the next episode. Russell wanted Liz to go home. So anyway, Liz goes home, and it's down to eight to four now. And this is where Russell, again, starts promising to Probes, you know, the comeback starts right here, you know, keep hope alive. This is where we're going to come back. We're very tight now. There's four of us. And so this is going to lead into the very pivotal, one of the most important moments of the season, this next episode, the merge episode. But this is where we stand. Uh, Fofo is down eight to four. It's really Russell, Mick, Jason, and Natalie. And they're going to go against the big bad galoos now, starting with the merge episode. And Paul, do we... You, would you have anything to say about Forgettable Liz here? Um, definitely closer to the Ashby line than uh, Yasmin was. But um, nope. <laughs> I don't really have that much to say about Liz. The only connection I had to Liz was that um, this was airing during my sophomore year of college. And I remember there was a friend of mine who like went to Barnard in, uh, and was like, oh, there's an alumni from my college who's on the show, whatever. Uh, she's going to do awesome. And then uh, we didn't really have anything to talk about with her because, well, you watch the show. So uh, that friendship has since died off, and I blame Liz. Yeah. You didn't need that person. 
No. Right. Well, I, Good job, I think your, your friend probably left you to go help her because I think she's having trouble walking without falling down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is the all-important episode, and this is the one I, again, I get the sense. People always have been telling me over the past couple months, you guys got to talk about Samoa. I want to hear you talk about Samoa. And I've always felt this pressure that people want to know what and again we're just four people like our opinion isn't any more important than anybody else's we just kind of talk about the history of the show and how it developed but this is the episode that i i keep getting the sense people want to hear our opinions of because this is one you hear and you read debates about this all the time you, on any message board about survivor this is the episode that always comes up who exactly should get credit for getting the galoos to vote out eric here as opposed to voting out one of the foa foas who should get credit for that and you always hear should natalie was natalie the one that did that was russell the one that did that who should get credit again it's this I hate to go this hardcore, but it's just this bullshit idea that you need to have a resume to win Survivor, that you have to keep little track of all the things that you're responsible for, which is not how Survivor has ever worked. It's not how it's ever, ever going to work, and it's just horseshit. But people just want to know who should get the credit for it in this episode. So this is a uh, – I'm glad we have about an hour to talk about this one because this is, I think, the big one that will lead into everything the rest of the season. I mean, you have to wonder if this is a bit of like – results-oriented thinking, though, right? And I think that's the reason why we attribute a lot of stuff to Natalie in this instance is because, spoiler alert, we're not going to see a lot of it until around the final six when Russell notices that her and Brett are starting to get very close. So, I mean, honestly, it's in, in a season where the editors, I think, were very clear about, like, this is more a season about why Russell lost than why Natalie won. You're looking, you're searching through that haystack, and you're pulling throughout as many needles as you can, no matter how dull they may be. And I feel like this is one example of that. And I do think what she does is very impressive of, you know, talking to some of them. But to your point, I do really think it is, you know, even though you might roll your eyes at Russell sort of saying he dispatched the FOA FOAs to sort of, you know, infiltrate the galoos and, and get something working. I do feel like, to some extent, they each sort of, maybe not Mick, but they each sort of play a part in getting this plan enacted. Yeah. See, <clears throat> my argument for this one would be that it's really not even Russell or Natalie that does it for the most part. It goes back to what I mentioned earlier a couple episodes ago, that there's this three-headed leader on Galoo, and they're all brainiacs, and they all haven't been challenged yet, and they all just want to flex their power. And it really kind of comes down to a little struggle here between Dave Ball and Eric and John. If you ask my personal opinion, I don't think Russell or Natalie should get all that much credit for it. I really think Galoo just collapses here. But again, as we go through it, I'd be willing to listen to arguments but that's how i always see it that i don't think it has to be an either or i think galoo should take the, the heat for most of it because they're the ones that just blew it here well i think it's a, it's a it's it's an it's a case of the power struggle before you actually have to have the power struggle i mean if, if you're a dominant tribe i mean the reason why we sort of hold up karor as one of like the more most successful tribes of all time and i mean yeah we didn't get like a ton of karor scenes you know dominating absolutely everything when Palau was going on. We, we focused on Oolong and, you know, the Steph and Bobby John sort of uh, saga that was going on there. But and when we went over and saw Karor, I mean, you could see that there were some people that were under, you know, Tom's thumb. There were other people that were bristling and, and, and trying to challenge Tom. But for the most part, it was bickering, and you can see what was going to happen down the line. But as, as, as it went, the tribe just basically got together, went to the challenge, and, you know, 
was united against Oolong. And it's like, yeah, Fofir, Galoot did well in these challenges. It's not like they didn't do well uh, as a tribe. But you, you saw that they were already trying to vote each other out or, or, or really get this sort of advantage. So, like, when... Uh, Foa Foa gets down to like a, a small number. They stopped looking at Foa Foa people as the threat, and they looked at each other as the threat. So I, I agree that it, it's it's a glue collapse because I think you can argue that glue never saw themselves as one giant cohesive unit. They were just they they happened to win, but they were jockeying for power and and being upset with each other the whole time. This brings up an interesting point because this is going to be the second season in a row where this tribe comes in with the majority, but then systematically falls apart and, you know, is able to have... And granted, I would say that, you know, it was more um, straight, and, straight and narrow with the Timbiras and the Jalapows, where it was just like, hey, we love JT and Steven, so we're going to bring him in and help. Here, you know, the Foa-Foas need to play an idol, and then they force a tie, and John Fincher then flips, etc., etc. But I wonder if... I don't know. Do we think that there's it's the similarities or the fact that there are no swaps this season? Because usually, you know, in these like Redemption Island, South Pacific seasons, it becomes tribe versus tribe, uh, you know, and one of the reasons why is because they don't have swaps. They don't have many opportunities to interact here. There are no swaps, but for one reason or another, maybe it's just because the cast, to your point, Jay, is so combustible and the elements are so or the dynamics are so combustible that even though they have had no opportunity to sort of make bonds with the other people aside from these temporary kidnappings, they're ready to sort of go at each other's throats as soon as possible. It's just an interesting thing that this is now the second season in a row where it's happened at the merge. Well, yeah, and you've seen that uh, <clears throat> you've seen that precedent before if you go all the way back to Marquesas. That's the one that I always remember where, you know, Row 2 was so much better than Mata Amu that they just weren't never had a chance to really start doing a power struggle within their own ranks. And so you get to the Gabriel episode and the, all of a sudden, you know, the paranoia starts kicking in and all of a sudden the did just collapse and the collapse goes on from there. It's one of these things that sometimes maybe it's not the best thing to be up that much more dominantly over your opponents because you never really get to do the bigger game of seeing who's actually calling the shots within your own tribe. So I, I think, yeah, like you said, it happened in uh, Token Chains. It happens here. It's happened in uh, Marquesas. I know it's, there's other seasons I'm not thinking off the top of my head where you it's not always a sure thing you're going to waltz to the end when you're up that much just because you haven't really been tested yet. And, you know, you think about it logistically. They've been out there. What is it? 18, 19, 20 day. I don't know, even know what day we're on here that they've never really had to play Survivor to that level. And that's three weeks of your life. Like you've been it's been pent up and built up and you just want to know who's calling the shots in this tribe. So I can see that why logistically it would be so hard not to just go for it that that you know, John will say in this episode, you know, we can vote Laura out. We can vote Eric out. And it won't hurt us. We're still up seven to four. Maybe we just need to do that to reassure ourselves who's in power. So you can see that. Again, this is not an outlier. And it's, again, it's not just Russell shows up and changes the way the game's played. This is, there's a precedent for these things happening in other seasons too. It's just the way that Survivor tends to work sometimes. It reminds me of a quote we missed uh, from episode four when uh, when they start deciding who's going to go home. And um, Shambo has the awkward conversation with the young girls and um kelly's is like i don't know i just never thought we'd go to a second tribal council <laughs> and shambles like ever <laughs> well i mean i just thought we were gonna get to the merge <laughs> she's so dumb she can't even count to two <laughs> <laughs> but i mean that 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 brings up a good thing and, and you can see it in a in a smaller microcosm in, in the sense of like like chris in vanuatu you know being the last male left 
amongst these females. Like his path is clear. Whereas with the females, they're like, okay, we've got Chris left, but we've got now we've got bigger threats, which is each other. You know, and I, I, I don't think that that when you're in this tribe dynamic where you've got eight and four or something like that, that everybody in the one tribe's like, well, clearly the four people in the other tribe is is no threat whatsoever. But at the same time, once once they're down a certain number and you're you know everything's you know everything's merged and and going in, you know if it's not close and you haven't like bonded so much, it, there's this this need to pagong the other tribe out is not as as strong you know what i mean there's just like ah there's just four of them you know and they're doing stuff like let's 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 clean our own let's get our own power struggle sorted first then we'll deal with the foe of foes but it's like usually by then it's too late and and you can see it in in this tribal aspect versus you know an individual aspect in certain games as well and I think um, I think Paul brought up a great point earlier that especially like Mario said this sort of three-headed dragon of uh, specifically, I would say uh, this is, episode is more about Eric versus John, really than yeah. anything. But I mean, they are chomping at the bit. I think that all this stuff with the power struggle with Shambo, with like debating, uh, oh, we should get rid of Monica instead of and, and keep Shambo around, even though she's more of a thorn in the girls' sides. Like, I think that's a sign of them just sort of sitting on their hands and not just because they're cold and wet for the past 20-something days, <laughs> ready to sort of make a move, that when we get into this episode, as soon as, like, they say, okay, we're going to get rid of Jason, then they start saying, you know what? No, let's go for Monica. You know, let, let, let's take advantage of this. Like we said, like, oh, they'll still, the Fofos will still be there. We can eventually get rid of them. But yeah. in Survivor, when you give people an inch, they will take a mile. Yeah. I should point out, again, it's not even the... the I wouldn't say it's obviously the the wrong move that they made either. It's... And you have to think something that's complicating the fact here is that, like, John Fincher is a rocket scientist. This guy has probably an insane IQ off the charts. Dave Ball is historically known as one of the highest IQs in Survivor. And Eric, just from listening to him talk, he clearly has a very sharp mind. He's a very good strategist. All three of these guys have been running numbers and scenarios and scenes in their head, probably more so than most people, that maybe if you have three dumber guys at the top, that they don't make this decision. But these three guys have been running numbers, running probability running statistics and this probably isn't the wrong move to break up monica and laura here so i mean that's the thing it's i think it's complicated by the fact that these guys are so smart and they just haven't been allowed to do that yet all right so let's go into this episode here so start of episode eight liz has just been voted out it's now four against eight and we get the I'm going to keep harping on this, the previously on Survivor segment where Probe says, you know, uh, Galoo has won almost everything, but there are cracks forming. It's the guys against the girls, which is clearly the story we've been told. And now, of course, he has to insert, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with the narrative here. Also, Russell made good on his promise to knock out Liz. Yeah, yeah thank you. Let's make sure we get Russell's storyline here in the middle. So just pointing that out. So here we go into the merge. It's uh, eight against four. And uh, at the start of the episode, Russell tells us, uh, you know, we need the merge. We need to work with them. I need new people to work with. We just, I can't guarantee we're going to win challenges. We need to go over there so I can work with these idiots. And he tells us a typical Russell quote. Again, you can insert this. You're going to hear some variant of this quote in every episode at least 10 times from here on out, where Russell says, I'm too good for this game. I got to make sure my seed is planted in these dumbasses so we can take over at the merge. I'm awesome. I control this thing. So basically, this is what we're going to hear over and over here again. Yeah, I so, love the contrast of the two narratives with this here. It's like, you know, we're all together, we're united, and they're a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. I didn't catch that, but that was actually very nice. 
So we go to Galoo here, and this is where we get the the Shambo and Laura feud. The one-sided Shambo hates Laura feud is going to rear its head even more so where uh, since Laura has gotten back to camp, there's been all this tension, and she's like, Shambo hates me for some reason. I don't know why. And then they get in like this fight over the canteen or something, and they start bickering. And So basically what happened was I guess that like Shambo – so when Dave, uh, when they, they sent Laura over to Foa Foa, I guess uh, she gave like her canteen to Dave, who then gave it to Shambo. And apparently in true Shambo fashion and went the way of the wayward chicken and got lost. I don't know. Maybe it flew away too, according to Shambo. And so basically like Laura's a little miffed about it. Uh, Shambo thinks that like Laura isn't taking her seriously and thinks that she's lying. And so Shambo decides to come up and make this apparently prevalent thing known that, you know what, there's a real power struggle going on between us. And Laura's <laughs> basically saying, like, well, that's news to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what is it? Shambo says, you know, there's this 90210 click. You guys look down your noses at me. And and Laura does one of the great non-apologies where she says, well, if you perceive it that way, that's on you. It's basically, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah, I wrote that, ex- I wrote that exact same thing down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shambo doesn't like that one bit. And so Shambo's going on and gone and that, that, you know, you guys think you're popular. You're the cute girls. You don't like me because I'm an outsider. And Laura's like, what the hell are you talking about? And so we get this great quote from uh, Eric where Eric's just looking off to the side like they're literally arguing over nothing. And he, he has a quote here. He says, Look, we know Shambo is crazy. So if you get in a fight with Shambo, guess who looks bad? It's you. That is such like a real life, like such real life application of that. I feel like there's so many times in life that you deal with a Shambo, maybe not like exactly like Shambo, but that kind of person who just like is very delusional. And like the people who like persist on like continuing to have a disagreement with them, it just really looks bad on you because if everyone knows that person is like not all with it then uh, really you're the one that looks bad because you're not letting it go. You saw how she was outwitted by the chicken, right, Laura? You are aware of this, right? All right, so here we go. So we uh, have the the struggle going on, the power struggle between the women, and it's all going to lead into this really uh, famous merge episode. So the two tribes get together, and they have their merge. And again, it's very similar to the... uh, bocce ball challenge where probst is not there he just he just (laughs) leaves a treasure chest and some note on the beach like basically uh here eat this and have fun all right so they all meet up again and they have their merge feast and they open it up and what what do we got here we got chicken we got cheese we got wine we got a lemon meringue mini pie at one point and then Russell has like Monica feeding him grapes, which of oh yeah, we're not going to hear about that one. He's like, <laughs> yeah, who gets grapes fed to them? The king. <laughs> yeah, hope hope you guys caught that. You'll never see that clip again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although in 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 true Survivor fashion, we do see all the Foa Foas. They've had a plan again. It's not just Russell and then nobody else. Everybody on Foa Foa has a little mission, and they're all going out and they're infiltrating and trying to bond with someone on on Galoo and Fincher kind of, or Jason kind of meets up with John Fincher and we get Natalie and Dave Ball. We see Natalie and Laura again. We see Jason and Laura. We see Monica and Russell. And this is a very subtle scene. She feeds him (laughs) grapes. I don't know if you caught that. She feeds him grapes like a king. What is, wait, what is she feeding him? I love how you listed off all those things. It's like, then we see Mick bonding with a tree. Like, I know we talked about Jason disappearing, but Mick is gone. For essentially the entire merge up until he ends up making the final three. I mean, I know we we laugh at Shambo for calling him feckless, but considering the first impression he leaves, 
I don't know. Might not be that, uh, you know, might, might be a pretty apt comparison, all things considered. Well, you got to think about this logically. You know he's bonding with someone. It's just we don't see it. So it's not, I mean, obviously you're talking about it like Mick just goes and hides in the tree and squats down for the next 15 days. But yeah, obviously they're doing stuff, but the editors are just choosing not to show that because it's more important that we get Russell's opinion on every single thing that's happening. To be fair, is he getting grapes fed to him? No, Russell was. I don't know if you saw that. Russell Hans, he's the one on uh, FOA FOA. He gets grapes fed to him from Monica. Wait, what? Yeah. Sorry, grapes. Oh, thank you. I, I must have missed that. Yeah, so Monica, she she has these. They're grapes. They're, I don't know if you know the little fruits. They're or they're uh, purple or green sometimes, and she has them. And, and Russell's there, and she's depositing them into his mouth as if in the manner that he is a king. And so he will give a confessional later where he says, "I'm the king who gets grapes fed to them. Only the king, baby, is the Houston Astros." And so that's got to be Monica's like biggest regret in her survivor career is like feeding him those damn grapes. Yeah, because she fed him some grapes and there was a scene here where he's he's got his mouth open and she's putting grapes into his mouth in case. Again, you may have not seen this episode in a while. It's a very Are we, are we sure this sub- wasn't on the recap episode because I feel like it, it was like a secret scene. Uh, was that scene? a secret scene? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was this on the early show for Eric's boot? Yeah. <laughs> Previously on Survivor, Eric was voted out and Russell got grapes from Monica. (laughs) All right. So anyway, so the Merge Tribe and Russell gets the grapes from Monica. So anyway, the Merge Tribe, their name is Aiga, which Brett, of all people, comes up with. Way to go, Brett, to contribute to the season. And they uh, paint their name and then Aiga is like called Extended Family. And this is where the rest of this episode is basically Eric being a douche. Or Eric's like, extended family. No, get these idiots off my beach. Like, we should have named the tribe. Uh, what's Samoan for get the hell off my island? <laughs> so Eric's going to have a nice little downfall episode here. So anyway, we have Aiga, the new merge tribe. And this is, honestly, for the next 10 minutes, all we're going to see is Russell's storyline because that's all that's important here, where Russell will, will uh, consecutively go to Laura and then Monica <laughs> and then Fincher and then let's see who else. He goes. He he pulls Liz off the uh, out of Ponderosa and talks to her for a while. Goes. And we goes, get pulls, a, pulls a cameraman aside. Uh, pull. It goes to every single grape in that bunch and talks to it. No, 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 Mike. You see grapes, but Russell sees targets. Yes. <laughs> Russell has no grapes. He has targets. <laughs> but this is this is an insane scene where Russell takes. It's like a scene of like. You know, like an ad man down on his luck, like taking the exact same pitch to three different agencies where he but it's not like they all say no. Like Monica was all for it, but he's like, nah, she doesn't believe me. I'm going to Fincher. Like it's just, it's an insane way to do these things. Yeah, well, the best, the scene that I like here, and again, for people who wonder why Russell doesn't win this game, there's several reasons. But there's a perfect example right here where he goes to Laura. And he says, uh, all right, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to team with you, Laura. We're going to go to the final two. Only here's my demands. And she's like, "Um, you know, Russell, I control 90 percent of this game and you control 10. And he's like, you little bitch, I'm going to vote you out for saying that. <laughs> so it's like Russell doesn't do well with adversity and he may say things he may regret. But yeah, right off the bat, Laura doesn't isn't, doesn't going to put up with any of his bullshit. And she shuts him down. So he goes to Monica and then Fincher. And again, Fincher is somewhat receptive to him. Monica is somewhat receptive to him. And uh, I have a. Uh, Fun little thing to mention here. Is anything else you guys want to mention about this scene before we move on? Besides him comparing himself to Babe Ruth? Oh, there you go. Thank you for setting me up. (laughs) 
All right. I was going to ask our baseball expert, Mario, about this. Here we go. It's time for some baseball stuff. So anyway, Russell talks about how awesome he is and how he he's so aggressive and how he makes these moves and he's done all this stuff. And he says, uh, OK, here's the comparison. He says he compares himself to Babe Ruth, famous baseball player from the 1920s. And he says, you know, Babe Ruth struck out more than anybody else, but he also hit the most home runs. So he goes. I just keep making these aggressive moves and eventually I'm going to hit a home run. I'm Babe Ruth. So he compares himself to Babe Ruth, which I know is a baseball expert. All three of you guys enjoyed that comparison, correct? I did. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> here we go. This is Mario's. I'm going to do my David Letterman impression here. From the home office in Lincoln, Nebraska, the top 10 ways that Russell Hans is like Babe Ruth. Oh, no. All right, Paul, drum roll, please. Number 10, neither Babe Ruth nor Russell Hans ever owned an oil company. (laughs) There you go, number 10. (laughs) All right, number nine, neither one of them ever made a million dollars in a season. So right there, right there, the comparison. Neither one ever made a million dollars. Here we go, number eight. They both of them, both of them once ate their own weight in fried fish. Number seven ways that Babe Ruth is like Russell Hance. They will both be played by John Goodman in the movie one day. John Goodman's mm. going to have to like cut himself off with the legs if he wants to play Russell Hance. Unless I do like that Hobbit filming from uh, the Lord of the Rings films. That's right. <laughs> All right, number six. Here we go. Both Babe Ruth and Russell Hance both missed an entire year with venereal disease once. Oh, jeez. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, number five. Uh, both Babe Ruth and Russell Hans are often associated with missing teeth. I'm I'm sorry. That is a, the Baby Ruth. That's how Russell Hans is like the Baby Ruth. I'm sorry about that one. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, they're gonna get worse. Here we go. Number four: the way that Babe Ruth and Russell Hans are similar. They often get credit for what a more talented teammate was actually better at. That is a Lou Gehrig reference. Babe Ruth's teammate who was probably better, but Babe Ruth got all the press. So there is our comparison right there. I mean, Lou Gehrig didn't pitch, dude. Well, neither did Babe Ruth by that point. Babe Ruth was just a big, fat, slow outfielder, and Gehrig was far more consistent. And also, uh, Lou Gehrig did not uh, rush into the stands and punch people from time to time. I mean, there is that, but, you know, he did that, and then he also pitched. Yeah, but that's early in his career, right, Paul? I mean, Paul, back me up on this. 100% 100% factually sound. I mean, I'm running. I'm also a historian of baseball, and everything checks out. <laughs> Do you remember where you were when Reggie Jackson hit his home run? Is that for Paul? I'm waiting for uh, Paul to answer that one. I think I was on a trampoline, maybe. <laughs> Ice cream sandwich. <laughs> All right, number Wait, three. When Reggie Jackson hit the famous home I wasn't born yet. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining my top ten list, you guys. I so hope that we're ruining the top ten list. Oh, sure, we're ruining your top ten list. Oh my god, Bochy ball. <laughs> All right, here we go. They get worse. Number three, the way that Babe Ruth and Russell Hans are similar. They were both mercilessly teased because they were apparently descended from a lowland gorilla. That is actually true. Ty Cobb would often joke about Babe Ruth that he came from a gorilla because he had that huge head. Here we go. The number two way that Russell Hans is like Babe Ruth. They both bat third, and that is accurate because in the hitting challenge, Russell does bat third later in this episode. So that mm. one, that one's correct. They both batted third. Babe Ruth, that's why he wore number three. 
This is the funniest thing ever. I know. Isn't this great? So here we go. The number one. Drum roll. The way that Russell Hans is like Babe Ruth. I worked on this all day. Babe Ruth, all he ever wanted to do was become a manager in the major leagues. He never got to be one. So at the end of his life, he was filled with regrets over the one thing he never, ever got. And that is how Russell Hans is like Babe Ruth. Thank you. Our guest tonight. Uh, let's see. We got uh, from the uh, Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, what's his name? Jack Hanna. Yeah, Jack Hanna. Thank you. Anyway, so where are we? <laughs> you, you worked on that all day? I, I, I took like five minutes right before we started the episode, actually. Okay. I was so inspired by the fact that they both batted third that it actually I could maybe think of two or three other jokes and then some filler. Some <laughs> filler. Okay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah, so Russell Hans is just like Babe Ruth, although Babe Ruth was not the home run champ. Paul would know who the home run champ was. It's not Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Jeff Kent, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Jeff Kent's teammate. Barry well, Bryant. wait, wait. Ba- baseball Mario, who do you recognize as the home run king right now? I recognize Barry Bonds because he's the one that hit the most home runs. You recognize Barry Bonds. Interesting. I'm from the West Coast. Of course I do. All right. All right. So we've lost all of our audience there. So, we, okay, we're done with the sports stuff. All right, here we go. So we got Russell and Shambo. So Russell's worked on everybody, and now he's going to go to Shambo because, well, because low-hanging fruit, basically. So he starts working on her, and he says, you know, Shambo's like, you know, Laura's being awful to me. And uh, Russell's like, yeah, well, you know, let's let's vote Laura out tonight. It would be great if we all just voted out Laura, and we could get rid of your enemy. And Shambo's like, that would be awesome. And then, can you find my chicken? I lost my chicken. So anyway, this is how it's going to go. The plan is we're going to blindside Laura tonight. He pulls in Fincher. He pulls in Shambo. And this is... Russell thinks the plan is going to be to vote out Laura tonight. And as we know, everything that Russell wants to happen will happen. No, to be fair to Shambo, though, this is an interesting scene where, like, yes, they make the bond and Shambo's finally able to get rid of, as she calls, the bane of her existence in Samoa. Uh, but there is this interesting cut scene where, like, Shambo gives Russell the marching orders and we sort of cut between her saying a line, almost like a like a heist movie, where she says a line of the plan and then he goes and does that part of the plan. So... To be fair, Russell's living up to his part of the deal and, like, following her orders and trying to get people over. Though, like you said, he has Fincher at this point. So he's they're, they're slowly but surely sort of gaining this majority to get rid of the Monica-Laura pairing. Yes. it's And again, there is some momentum for this, and it, it may indeed have happened. But what's going to happen is the next scene, we got the reward challenge where this is the famous T-ball challenge, as we all know, where they— where they get a big old fucking Fred Flintstone bat and hit a ball into like the, the Samoan wilderness, as the Samoans used to do, of course. <laughs> so yeah, so they they go up there, and this is where we get the famous line: they have to hit the ball, and and Dave balls the first one up, and Probst is like, "So Dave, Danger Dave, baseball your sport?" And Dave's like, "No, making love is my sport." <laughs> Everyone's laughing, and Jeff's like, "So you play it a lot?" And Dave's like, "Not often enough." Just right off the cuff, good humor from Dave, and then. They all get to hit, and who who ends up winning? We got one man wins immunity, and one woman wins immunity, and this is where. Yeah, when when is is this the first time that's happened since what All Stars? If I, I mean, if you count the beginning yeah. of Palau, maybe there, but like it's been a while since we've had gendered immunity necklaces. It could be. That's a Paul question. I I defer to my colleague, Mister Oslison. Yes, I don't know it quite as well as baseball, but I believe you are correct, Bloom. <laughs> I love your baseball voice. It's so. Or is, that, or is that your Russell Swan impression? Russell Swan. That was. His <laughs> I'm not sure. It just kind of comes out, and I do as it does. 
Sounds like you just came from a rousing and rollicking game of bochi ball. Bully on you! <laughs> if there's one thing I love more than baseball, it's bochi ball, boys. <laughs> who's the leading Who's the leading home run hitter in bochi ball? Um, Dave Ball, clearly. Yes. I mean, Dave it's probably it's, it's probably Barry Bonds. Let's let's be honest. Now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Now you acknowledge him. Fine, you son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> I'm a Dodger fan. What can I say? Whatever. All right. So John Fincher wins for the men. Laura wins for the women. That's uh, and so basically they are not going to get their chance to blindside Laura tonight. And Shambo has a sad, and Russell has a sad. So it looks like the great Foa Foa comeback is not going to happen. So we go back to camp, and this is the new plan where uh, Russell's like, "Well, you know, we couldn't get out Laura. How about we vote out Monica? We just get rid of her little daughter." And Shambo's like. Yeah, dude, that's not going to happen. So, you know, you, things are not looking good for you when Shambo is now shutting you down, saying, no, nah, I don't think so. No, that's crazy. We couldn't possibly do that, Russell. I don't know, I forgot to point this out before. Did, was Shambo also doing karate at one random B-roll? Was she pulling off some Bruce Kanagai-style yes. Wang Chung's on the beach? Well, it's about as good as Denise. It's like Denise-level karate. <laughs> She's the master of karate and friendship for everyone. She's the day man. But yeah, so this is, and this is where we get, like you said, like ultra douchey, Eric. This is him saying, like, the foa foas can't win shit, and like, uh, you know, uh, like, okay, here's the, he basically goes to the three guys, says, okay, here's the plan, like, nobody, nobody tells Shambo the plan, and he says, I don't give a shit if she votes for probes, which would have made for a very funny Pagong esque outburst if she did that, and then get the foa foas to vote out Monica. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Yeah, there's just all sorts of stuff going on here where Eric all of a sudden starts getting super cocky. And this is where, where he pulls the foa foas aside, right? Where he basically says, okay, Eric, Eric's now seen the logic. Yeah, I want to vote out Monica. We're going to take her out. And, and he basically pulls these three foa foas, Mick, uh, Natalie, and, and Jason aside and says, all right, here's how it's going to be. We're, you're going to do what I say. And maybe you'll do well in this game. Maybe you'll get a little further. But if you tell Russell, it's not going to happen. See, this is how it's going to work. And so, again, people kind of forget that Jason is kind of the one who actually has a little moment here, right? This is the one you were talking about earlier where Jason actually stands up to Eric. Yeah, he says, well, he doesn't really stand up to Eric. Eric walks away and he just turns to the other two and he says, here's how I feel right now. I feel like Eric is talking to me like a fucking child. And, uh, I mean, Jason is someone who I think, despite this, the, the experiences and rough times he's having outdoors, I think he's someone who is about this, like, mutual level of respect. I think he's been particularly irked with the way Eric has been talking down to the Foa Foas the entire time. So he's going to be the one to at least push that bochi ball in motion. And I think Natalie, according to the edit, is going to help move that closer to the uh, ultimate flag of getting rid of Eric instead of Monica or one of the Foa Foas. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, to make a long story short, Jason kind of says, I'm not going to listen to Eric. Let's just turn the vote against him and tell the girls what he's doing. He's trying to get Monica out. So the FOFO is dispersed. They spread this information. You know, Eric is going to turn on you guys tonight. It's, it's He's trying to get Monica out, and the girls are like, F that. And so now the girls rally, and now all of a sudden the vote has turned around against Eric. And again, whether who you give credit to or don't, it really is – this this galoo collapsing that Eric and, and Fincher and Dave Ball and all of them should have been tight at the top. Instead, they started showing their cracks. And if you tell your plan too early, all of a sudden it can get turned back against you, which is, again, kind of the John Carroll and Marquesas thing. And that's uh, what just happened. So Eric, all of a sudden, his butt's in the hot seat. And this is where we get a very 
interesting scene that doesn't have any reason to be in this episode other than to make Natalie look bad and make Russell look good, which is a very, you know, which scene I'm talking about here right at the end of this exchange. Is it where Russell like goes to Natalie and says like, Oh, I don't think you convince them. Yeah. Where Natalie, we would see again, this scene does not need to be here. This episode works perfectly fine without the scene that every while the girls are turning on Eric now. And now we have the scene, which is very curious why it's here where Natalie goes to Russell and she says, I did it. I turned them. And Russell says, no, you didn't turn them. I think you think that you did. And that's it. That's the only thing he says. And then we cut from that scene. Like, why is that scene there other than just to undercut Natalie as a winner? It's very odd to me that the editors would do that because that's just kind of a dick move having that moment right there, that little conversation. But due to the fact that it succeeds, is it necessarily undermining it or is it more so like an ironic confessional or is it to build suspense that like, Oh, they think they did it, but maybe they didn't. I don't know. I I see where you're coming from, and I forget what the previously on next time, if it really does attribute, you know, Natalie to getting rid of Eric. Uh, if not, I can understand what you're saying, but I, I don't I don't necessarily see this as a way to sort of like have have production throw shade onto Natalie via Russell as the mouthpiece. Really? Well, I'm what Jay. What do you and Paul think on that one? Because I'm curious. Because I know what you're saying that maybe you're they're doing it as a reverse to make Russell look bad, but. I mean, I cannot say this any less douchey. The Survivor audience isn't that bright that they're going to see through that, that that's an ironic. All they're going to see is that Russell just flat out says to Natalie, no, you didn't do it. So that's the thing. That's that's the argument you will see over and over in, in message boards. Russell's the one that got them to switch. Russell should get all the credit for that because they show in the episode Russell literally telling Natalie, oh, you had nothing to do with it. Well, see, when you first – and I actually don't remember the scene that closely. And one of the things that now I notice – with even a season like Samoa that I have rewatched a, a handful of times, is when we move into this era of Survivor where there are these big strategy, um, you know, lead ups to Tribal Council where it's like strategy cut, strategy cut, talk, talk, and it's just like it's. I really my recall is not as good as it as it could be because it just kind of all blends together. So I don't remember the scene perfectly, but when you're first describing it to me, I actually was had the opposite reaction that well maybe that's included intentionally. To show that, like, I guess more in the ironic sense of him telling Natalie, no, you didn't do it, when in fact she did do it. So it was yeah. like a hidden, like, opposite of, uh, you know, because at the end of the episode, then they do kind of give credit to Natalie next episode, if I remember that right. In the previously on Survivor, they give, they show Natalie in the, in the hut, and that she's, they kind of give her the credit for that. So I kind of took it more in Mike's direction, I guess. Mr. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I when I when I saw it, my my question always when I'm watching Samoa, especially for preparing for this podcast, is really you know what is the intent of of the people making this show? And it's tough because I think ultimately we've talked about that the intent of the people making the show is to make Russell look good and also make him central to everything that's going on. That being said, that scene placed there is mostly placed there in this in the context that mike and paul are talking about in the mm -hmm. sense of you know trying to throw slight misdirection or or try to pre pre present sort of an ironic thing because as they say later natalie does sort of get credit for this move so this is somewhat of a slight but at the same time i feel like you know it's weird because it's almost you sort of get out of it what you want to get out of it. Like people who are pro wrestler are going to look at that and say, 
Oh, look at Russell. See, he he's telling her that it was, you know, it didn't go down exactly how it went down. But anyone can basically say, but it did go down how it went down. And Russell knew it. And they were all voting for Eric. So, like, it, it's it's a tough sort of thing uh, to parse. And I think when I looked at it, I, I didn't really look at it one way or the other because I I looked at it in the way that Mike and Paul are looking at it. But at the same time, because I, I, I don't recall what my initial one was, because w- the last time I saw it was just in preparation for this podcast. And I'm looking at it in that podcast angle of what are they trying to do? And in ultimately I'm looking at it as they're trying to make Russell look good or, or mitigate some of the damage. But yet at the same time, it, it works in the other sense. Okay. That's you. You guys have actually made me reconsider that scene that now I actually, <clears throat> now I actually think that, uh, okay, the editors are specifically trying to show that Natalie is doing things that Russell is not even aware of, and they're doing it in a way to actually explain Natalie's win in the end mm-hmm. and show that Russell isn't really the god of Survivor he thinks he is, which when I look at it that way, okay, that's kind of cool that they do that. They're actually undercutting Russell, but I think maybe the audience has just misinterpreted it, or like I may have mis- just misinterpreted it there, but the audience really ran with that scene and ran with stuff like this saying, well, Natalie was an idiot. No, she, they're like they're undercutting her at every stop. So it's okay. I can kind of see your point on that one, but it is a very, it's a very dicey scene when you get into the ending of this ep- of this season. That this scene and stuff like this right here are going to come up time and time again over who really gets credit and who should have won this game. I've I've talked a lot in in previous podcasts and previous seasons about you know I don't believe in in the whole thing when they talk about winners edit, but. You know, I do think that they do try to craft a narrative around why the person who won won. But I think that as we go later on, a lot of times it's it they're they're less concerned with that. You know, they're less concerned with telling why the winner won. Sometimes they'll tell why people lost. But I think ultimately, you know, as the seasons get later, they just want to mine, you know, what what's a story we can tell that's going to get people watching the show and advertisers to keep sending money and and stuff like that. And I think that Russell is the meal ticket. And it's like people show like it talked about like the subtle ways that they've shown Natalie winning in the sense that, you know, they've got the one Natalie confessional. They have this episode with this sort of confessional, this thing where like Natalie does sway this Eric vote. And, you know, there are times where you can see Natalie actually winning the game of Survivor in camp scenes where she's bonding with people and in a real and an effective way. But it's like, Someone can say, well, you can see the editors are very sneakily putting all this Natalie winning stuff. And it's like, are they or is she just doing it so much that, you know, it's showing on camera from time to time in the background of Russell slash Shambo slash Dave Ball shenanigans? Yeah. No, I don't think there's any Natalie wins storyline whatsoever. Yeah. I think there's definitely a Russell loses storyline. But yeah, that's yeah. anybody who claims yeah. there's this really strong Natalie you know, when storyline is just being disingenuous because it's clearly not there and it's you're kind of projecting what you what you think onto it, kind of like Paul projecting that there's all these confessionals with Natalie doing Russell quotes. But yeah, it's but there is a very strong Russell loses the season story, whether you want to see it or not. I don't think anybody can really dispute that one. And to be clear, we're not equating the edit with the game. I don't think any of us are, I mean, we make an effort on Survivor Historians to not really win or bash from like a gameplay perspective. And I think what Natalie really proves this season especially is, you know, you need to work relationships and not tarnish people on the way out. And that's how you're going to really succeed in the game of Survivor, no matter what sort of 
quote-unquote moves you may be making. So I don't want to necessarily say that, you know, uh, she 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 was a, a bad player in any really sense of the word. I think it's more so this idea that she was not part really part of this main story. I mean, she was in that she was you know Russell's number two that sort of uh, over overshone the master in quotes at the end of the day. But I think that what we're paying attention to are these types of moments where she's really surreptitiously managing relationships and just being this sweet old southern girl that is able to get ideas in people's heads. And I. I guess maybe now I'm sort of going back on my logic and saying that I do think Natalie at least contributed to getting maybe the girls on board with the idea because I think that she was had probably the strongest connection with Laura and I think those girls Galoo girls are really the linchpin to uh to get Eric gone. Yeah, I will I will basically say an even shorter version of what you just said Mike is that good survivor doesn't really make good TV. Bad survivor makes better TV. Yeah. There's a there's I would argue most of the time, there is an inverse relationship between uh, the strategic effectiveness of a move and how entertaining it plays off on a television screen. And there are exceptions. Tony Vlachos is basically one big dot that's completely separate from the, the, the line there. But that, that's how I feel about a lot of strategic gameplay on Survivor. Yeah, and that is always the great curse that Survivor's had, is that the smartest thing to do in Survivor many times is just ride your hot hand the way it is now you don't have to make big moves you kind of sit with what's good already you're making bonds with people just keep making bonds keep making bonds you don't have to do anything flashy and that's always been the great curse of survivor is that smart gameplay isn't really flashy gameplay smart gameplay is just consistent steady gameplay and that's something that probes and the producers have worked against for years they don't like that mindset they want to encourage people to do flashy things because it makes for stronger episodes in their mind and that's kind of the great dichotomy of Survivor, that when you're good at it, it doesn't really make good TV. Like Tom Westman, some of the stuff he was doing in Palau, you can't really quantify in the episode. You can't show how charismatic he was, how how much of a solid hold he had over that tribe. And so that's why some people would find Palau a little boring, because there's not any big flashy changes, because he's so good, he can head off those changes. So that's, again, just the, the curse that Survivor has always faced, is that when people are really good at it, they're boring. They're Kim Spradlin, basically. It's an interesting thing that you bring up, Mario and and Mike and Paul, especially with this episode and season and sort of the thing with Russell in in, in the sense that there's this weird thing that's pulling out because they are they clearly see Russell as this ratings goldmine and and just a super entertaining character. I mean, they saw it early. I mean, clearly, because they bring him back for heroes versus villains the next season. And then he like goes far in that season and plays havoc with them there. So Russell is this central figure in you know the 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 heroes versus villains and then you know by proxy here in Samoa and all that sort of stuff so they're they're pumping him up they they want to they want to advertise Russell because he is going to put eyes on the survivor product but by the same token they're telling the story of why Russell lost and i it, it's this weird sort of head bashing against each other because you have to make him look good but at the same time you have to make him look bad because he doesn't win Mm-hmm. And I think that people don't interpret everything in some certain way. And I think that this is sort of the first time because Russell does these flashy things and he gets to the end with the flashy things. And he does all these things that, that Probst, I think, starts to really appreciate in the sense of like, wow, you know, you can do these things and maybe you can get to the end with, with this really flashy gameplay that 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 makes good television and ratings and all that sort of stuff and maybe you can win the game and so i feel like 
beforehand, when they tell a story of why this person lost, it's presented without some sort of slant or bias. It's just presented as is. Not not to say that it accurately reflects what's going on in the game. Obviously, we're seeing a TV product, but it's this is why this person lost. It's not this person sucks. This is why they lost, or this person, you know, was really good, and 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 all that sort of stuff. It's just this person lost, and here's how. And with Russell, I feel like they're saying this person lost, but he's pretty good. Maybe it should have won. And so yeah. it's kind of this 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 different sort of attitude that that's going to shape things in the future. Yeah, that's interesting. And I know, have you has. Pr- Probst has talked about this season in interviews. I, I'm pretty sure he's even said that Russell deserved to win, right? He's said that in interviews and stuff. I don't know. Paul would. I don't know. That. I, I always, I always, maybe it's you know, as time has gone on, maybe he's been a little bit more like direct about it. But I always thought Probst did a pretty good job of not like making it clear that Russell should have won. Like I always thought he did a pretty good job at the time. Of kind of like yeah, well, you know that's what the survivor is. Sometimes in the end, the Russell doesn't win, um, which I do not think would be maybe the attitude in present day. But <laughs> I just remember always feeling like he actually, um, not that he went to bat for Natalie a lot, but he definitely, I think he 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 stayed right in the middle on that whole issue. But if someone he, has something that they can point to that he said specifically, I don't recall. I I'm not super active on Twitter, so I may be wrong in this, but I vaguely remember Russell posting something. It was like a sign buff or a sign something that Probst had given him, and he posted it on Twitter. It, it literally just says from Probst to Russell, "You should have won." Signed Jeff Probst or something like that. So I know, even though Probst maybe has not outright said it, I know there's an undercurrent of him hinting at it or saying it in kind of behind the scenes to the players. So I know right. I'm not there's, just making there's that no up. doubt that he actually thinks that. I just remember at the actual time of the whole finale and everything going into heroes versus villains, I felt like he stayed pretty um, objective. So I'm looking right now at an EW blog that Jeff wrote after the finale of Samoa. And maybe the, maybe I'll save this for the end of uh, Samoa part three, but that's like five hours from now. Uh, (laughs) So he says, okay, now that the show is officially over, I'm going to take off my hosting and producing hat and just give you my personal reaction to what went down last night. I think Russell was the victim of a jury of bitter people. Yeah. I'm not taking anything away from Natalie. She clearly did a great job of reading the group dynamic of the jury, and as a result, she deserves the money. Uh, and he just sort of goes on here. But I think he's basically saying, uh, you know, he say, he's, oh, he says, uh, if I were playing Survivor, no matter how much I despise someone, if they kicked my ass in the game, I would give it to them. Period. Outwit, outplay. Nobody outwitted or outplayed Russell. Not even close. Yeah, so I uh, retract definitive. my statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, we haven't even mentioned this. We'll get into this in part three, where at the end of the season, all the Galoos have been outwitted by Russell. Russell's found all these idols. He starts going around all their votes. He has done everything to get to the end. And one by one, the Galoos will get to their out exit uh, interviews. And this is something that's really been tampered down over, or tamped down over the years. You don't hear this as much, but almost to a man, they were all saying the same thing. A Russell would just make fun of you after you got voted out and like laugh at you. I think Kelly in her final words is like crying. Cause Russell was so mean to her on her way out. And then the even worse, they're saying, well, Russell was getting these idols that we were, we were looking in the spot and they weren't there. And then five minutes later, Russell goes there and there is an idol there. And they all said, it's really suspicious that he got an idol every single time he needed one. And it's really fishy. And they're flat out saying the producers are handing him idols and rigging the game and stuff. And again, it's, it's really their word against the producers, but they were all saying that it's, it's, that's why the ending of the season gets so controversial where probes is going on the record saying, well, they're just bitter. They couldn't handle that. He outwitted them. 
And they're all saying, the Galoos are all defending themselves, saying, well, the producers were rigging it for him, and we're not going to give it to the producer's pet. And besides, he was an asshole to start with. Like, why are we going to reward him? So it's, it gets very controversial at the end of the season, what happens and who's responsible and what exactly was going on. But yeah, this is why this is such a delicate season and an important season to talk about. And again, we're just going to wade knee deep into it in part three because it's 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 a uh, to quote a was it Shawshank? You got to crawl through miles and miles of shit to get to the end, and that's kind of what we're going to have to do here. No more rain. We have that all through this part of Samoa. <laughs> well, this is the rain where you look up, you know, ecstatically and hold your hands up, and it's like the celebration rain. That's what we get. So. So Eric gets blindsided. <laughs> he does, but we forgot you, you skipped Shambo's great quote. Oh, yes. Is this where uh, Dave says uh, uh, she's trying she channels her best accidental Catholic, Kathia Sleckman by Dave saying, oh, yeah, Eric's supposed to go. She goes, who's Eric? Our Eric? Yeah. Our <laughs> Eric? <laughs> no, the other Eric. Yeah, it's the, the chicken Eric, that one. No, it's ice, ice, uh, ice cream scooper Eric. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, yeah, there's a whole great... Uh, uh, controversy here where is is Eric really going to get voted out? Is this a plan just to get Russell to to show his idol? Because again, Russell has shown literally every single person his idol. They all know he has it. And so is it a, a plan to flush his idol? And it's again, it's a very good episode. This is a strong episode from start to finish. And we get to tribal council and Eric has no idea he's about to get blindsided. And he's just going into full douche mode. He's just, you know, ripping on the foa foas. He's like, Jason, you have no heart. You have potential. You don't do anything. Look at your life, man. And, and Jason's like, shut up. Like, look at my resume. Like, I've been Ivy League school. I'm in all like out huge athlete like shut up and then and then um eric's going to russell like just give up you guys have no chance like i don't even know why you guys even bother showing up so eric really earns his downfall as he totally gets blindsided here eight to two and with that we have the shots fired where uh the first member of galoo has fallen and it's going to be a long steady string of them from here on out and it's just a uh it's either uh a momentous, fun, sad, terrible, awesome, depending how you look at it. It's a long string of Galoo downfall starting right about here. So let's talk about a few things here. First, I want to ask, this is the first time that they do the merge with more than 10 people. And I feel, and I think they'll do 10 people in Heroes versus Villains, but I feel like that'll be the last time they only do it with 10 people. Otherwise, it's with 11 or more do you think this contributed to it at all? Do you think if it was more of a rote vote, if they got rid of Jason, for example, at 12, the producers would be like, okay, 12's too many people? Or do you think it was just, okay, we're, we're having more of these 20-person seasons, let's go with these bigger merges because that's where more chaos occurs? Yeah, it, it's hard for me to say. I don't know the production decisions. They start doing some really goofy stuff with the show and the themes and the seasons and the music that I just don't. I don't vouch for, I don't stand by almost any decision, the production decision they start making from here on out. So I don't know what their thought process is, but yeah, it's, um, who knows? I'm curious yes. what you guys think. If they, if, I, if I think the, I think the success of these first few episodes really gave the show the confidence to say, you know what, let's shorten the pre-merge in terms of, you know, percentage wide of the show. And, um, let's really make, make the show more about being what happens at the merge. Yeah. Could be very well be true because again, this is a strong string of episodes that was is remembered very highly and strongly. So yeah, maybe it just is. We want more of that. Let's have more of that. And something else to note from this tribal council before I guess we sort of do our uh, our rip and peppers, Eric. Uh, not one but two idols leave the game because I think at least I had forgotten before doing this rewatch that remember Eric found the idol in his beloved tree a few episodes ago and he said, "Oh, I'm." Gonna, 
I'm going to use this to get to like day 36, day 39, but he got voted out with it in his pocket. And uh, Russell ends up expending his. I feel like this is another instance where like he makes the misplay where he thinks he's going to be going. He says earlier, like, if I get even a whiff of what's going on, I'm going to play my idol. So a lot of idol shenanigans going on at this merge that sort of amounts to naught because none of them end up being used correctly. Mike, did you happen to watch uh, Eric's Ponderosa? I haven't yet, no. In the second part of it, it's like really bizarre. At the end, I, I can't get like, does he actually, okay, so what he says is, he's like, and I just want to say something to my good pal James. I'm like, who is he talking to? He's like, these people in the game, something about how they just couldn't resist it. They had to eat the damn apple or something oh, to that effect. Our James? That, that, and like the way... <laughs> The way he says that, it's like he did he know James like personally? Did he just know him? Because like I feel like Eric was like out in L.A. and stuff. Around, it would have been around the same time that James was out there and stuff. So maybe he had something to do with him getting on the show or something. Because just the way he said it, it sounded more than just like you know, just that he knew that reference from the show or something. So I don't know, something to think about. Did you not call him like James instead of James? <laughs> James. <laughs> Eat the oople. <laughs> Wow, that was a double making fun of me and Eric in the same sentence. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> laugh. Laugh, people. Laugh. That's right. We're funny. This is entertainment. You're enjoying this on your commute or at work or wherever you are. But Eric, So Eric's an interesting character for a number of reasons. First, as we talked about before, he sort of becomes like the main, strate- or at least the strategic like mouthpiece, I would say, of Galoo. We're going to get Fincher sort of stepping up into that spot later on, but Eric is the person who... It's, I mean, he's the mouthpiece because he's also very braggadocious. And, you know, him becoming the merge boot, this is where I, th- where I think we start getting this mentality created of, like, the jury four person. Like, this is the first person on the jury. And he's going to be the one who, from an edited perspective, brings it home for Natalie, again, according to what we're being told in the finale. So it's it's interesting the way he goes out, the way he was edited and represented. He was a much larger character, I think, on the season than I remembered him to be. Yeah, he even as I was watching, I remember thinking this guy is a great character. I loved him during the season. I always have. I love that he's the one that really gets Natalie the win at the end. Again, it's some people don't like those speeches. I normally don't like the speeches if someone just goes up and tells everyone how they need to vote. But just the fact that he must have pissed the producers off to no end just makes me love him even more. But yeah, I love Eric. I think he was a fun character. I think he was a lot smarter than he gets credit for. I think he was easily a match for Fincher and Dave Ball in the strategy department. He just kind of fell bad luck to this. uh, You get a little too confident. You've been in power a little too long. You haven't been allowed to play Survivor for 20 days, 21 days. And it just kind of snaps and you make one mistake and then it all comes down. But I do think he's a very strong player for this era and he should get more credit than he does for being like people always say Russell had no competition. I think Eric was a great player. I really enjoyed him on this season. I mean, <laughs> it's Eric. He's the tree sprite. <laughs> Shut He'll up. always be the tree sprite. <laughs> sprite. <Hey. laughs> yes. His favorite soft drink. So yeah. So now we go into the, uh, the glue slaughter that's going to play off over basically the rest of the season. I, I can't to, wait. Yeah, I have to say one thing. When when Russell plays that idol there, that's not the first time they play the idol music, the new idol music, right? Were they playing that as far back as Micronesia? I, I'm really fuzzy on when the music switches. No, I I mean I'd have to pay attention. I don't I think I think that's the blindside music we get out of um 
going back to 16 stuff, but I'd have to listen more. I think it does change a little bit this season, exactly what it is, but I feel like we don't get a whole new shift for, for a while. I think. Okay. I, I thought it might be in Micronesia. I kind of forgot. Okay. So anyway, yeah, we lose Eric. The downfall of Galoo is about to start. And this is a perfect place for us to end our first three hour podcast. And in, in a long time, it's been long, a long time since we uh, crossed that uh, miracle three minute mile there. But yeah, it's, it's so uh, it's been good getting back in touch with you guys. How are your voices? They all hold up. We still strong. We still uh, Galu strong here. Yeah. Well, the thing I always like have to do is like, like you said, at the beginning of the podcast, we have to get back into it, used to it. And then by the end of three hours, I remember why I don't like you guys. And so I'm ready to be done, you know? Yeah. So I much. need like a few months off. Yeah. You guys didn't laugh at my top 10 list. So I'm really, we will not be doing another podcast for another three months. I'm just letting you know that right now. Oh, that's our punishment. <laughs> If it makes you feel any better, I don't think we're going to be the only ones that won't laugh at your top 10 list. <laughs> well, see, that was my homage. Letterman top 10 lists often weren't that good. That was a very deliberate homage to David Letterman. Some of the jokes have to bomb or it's not a good impression. See, it's it's Andy Kaufman. I'm going meta on you guys there. Wow. It's very yeah. heady. I work on different levels. I work on different levels than you guys with my bochi ball jokes and stuff like that. You just cannot comprehend the Mario seeds that I'm planting in your heads. <laughs> Please don't say Mario seeds. <laughs> <laughs> My word, I put a Mario seed in their head. But this will be this will be interesting to cover next time because I'm assuming if we are indeed going to try to cram in the remaining six episodes plus a recap episode in there. Because I mean, <laughs> there's a double boot though. There's that lame double boot episode we can skip right through. But there's still six. There's still six episodes. So you know, you know us. We're gonna get on a tangent and then we're gonna stretch it out for an hour. I will say that, you know, we, we have been kind of crapping on Russell, understandably so this podcast. I do feel like the next episode, the, the Kelly Sharbaugh boot, might be his finest outing in Survivor Samoa, where he's able to not only quickly rebound and find an idol, but also play it successfully and draw all the votes onto him. And he does give, I'll admit, I kind of love the I ain't done playing just yet quote that he gives before he plays the idol. So... We're going to see some good stuff from Russell, but then we're slowly going to get back into the territory of, okay, this is why things play out the way they do at the end. Yeah, Russell is a fine survivor player. All right. Well, I think that's about it. I will. Uh, I think we're going to have a qu probably a quicker turnaround despite my top 10 threats there. I think we'll probably do a quick turnaround just because it's summer and we're wrapping up the season and we got a couple teachers who are wrapping up their school years. So I think we want to finish Samoa off as quickly as possible here before everyone disperses into the summer and does family trips and stuff. So hopefully we will have a shorter turnaround uh, uh, maybe until the next time we talk to you guys. So as always, let's see. I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Oslison. And remember, if in case you forgot, there's the scene where Russell had the grapes and then or Monica had the grapes and she was feeding them to him. It's 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 symbolized that he was the king, like he was in power. So just if you want to remember one thing from this episode, remember that Russell was the king and Russell got the grapes. So we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. All right, Shambo, since you are the new leader and you're not participating, who do you want to assign to make decisions for Galoo in this challenge? Eric. No, no, Brett. 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 I stand corrected, Brett. Russell, on the other hand, had no friends, only targets.